Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. And welcome to another edition of the Break the Rules stream. We are here. We are queer. We are ready to have a wonderful... I mean, I am just so happy and thankful to bring people together to have all these discussions. I want to say once again, everybody who is here who has not subscribed, subscribe right now. I mean that. I cannot stress that enough. Anyway, without further ado, let's go to the guest of honor today. We've got Oren McIntyre joining us, as well as, as well as the return of Nigel Carlsbad, as well as the return of Catherine Brodsky, my good friend Catherine. Thank you so much for being with us. So let us start with Oren. You describe yourself as a recovering journalist. Why recovering and why journalist? Uh, yeah, so I, I did uh, fall backwards uh, into uh, actually being a uh, beat reporter uh, for a number of different newspapers uh, in my area, in my area, and then a, a then a senior staff writer uh, for one of the major outlets in my area, and uh, and I say recovering because I'm no longer doing that anymore. I've moved on from that. Um, you on the program? You got your first coin, or uh... yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's been a it's been a good couple of years. You know, I haven't man I've managed to stay off the smack as long as you don't count YouTube. Uh, you know, going back to and and doing something like that. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I definitely got the understanding of kind of how that world works. I wasn't doing anything big, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, uh, writing in huge outlets, but I did get to see a lot of, about how that sausage is made, uh, especially since my focus was in, in politics and crime. Um, but I repeat myself, uh, but the, those, two, you know, th those were my areas of, uh, of focus and reporting. And so uh, when I ended up, uh, you know, doing my YouTube videos and talking more and more about how the political system works and how power works, that definitely gave me a kind of a different perspective on, on you know, how these stories get crafted and how power selects what's going to be pushed forward. What were some uh, very obvious ways that you saw this manifested and what were the years that you were active in the media sphere? Uh, so uh, up until about two years ago. Uh, and so through the through the uh, the first Trump election uh, up until about about two years ago. Uh, and so what I what I saw was definitely uh, you, you'd be in these, uh, you know, you get into these press junkets, you get into these uh, different events, you're talking to the governor, you're talking to these different politicians and everybody in these press gaggles is. You know, they're they're all there asking different questions. Everybody's trying to wedge in, and, and they're all recording the answers, right? Like you're, everybody's kind of got their phone pressed up, and they're trying to uh, to get the auto recorded. And you'll just walk away, and you will see how those stories get crafted. Everybody had the same material. Everybody had the same audio, uh, but you'll see how different reporters uh, attempted to shape the way that uh, that a different politician would answer. They would ask the same question repeatedly over and over again, desperately hoping to get them to make one slightly different answer that they could finally use to push into the story. And you also notice that those are all the ones that are getting traction. And so uh, you, you can see how the game is played. You can see that the, the reporters who are constantly trying to form a narrative and trying to push a, a, an official into a particular spot and get a particular answer, they're coming up with wildly different stories than other people who are there with the exactly the same, uh, the same ones. And of course, those stories being more exciting are the ones that are going to take flight. They're the ones that are going to get the attention and shape the actual direction of what happens next. And you also get to see how these politicians completely alter the way they act and the decisions they make 
because of this environment, uh, because they know they're going to have to face this onslaught from the media on a regular basis and the media pushing them in these different directions. And like I said, that really opened my eyes to, to kind of who actually pushes and moves and shapes uh, power. As being a part of the uh, inner party, if you will. Um, but for, for those who don't know, but I'm assuming everyone who uh, listens to you is listening to this, um, you you uh, are part of what I consider. And by the way, our good friend Catherine Brodsky is also a journalist. That, yes. Uh, but maybe if she keeps appearing on the show, she won't be a journalist for long. We'll see. She'll get canceled. Well, we're going um, <laughs> we're, we're to have this uh, conversation today. And uh, when it comes to Catherine, her credentials, like she's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like when you see a general with like tons of medals on uh, on the shirt. So she is a writer for Variety, Guardian, Washington Post, Playboy, Esquire, Vulture. Playboy. C- yeah, Playboy, CNN. Uh, so there we go. Like yeah. Catherine, she is all well, over the place. Well, also so, our, our friend uh, Seabrook. Um, Andrea you know, Seabrook, Andrea yes, Seabrook. So, of uh, um, NPR fame. <laughs> so yeah, but but there there not there won't be journalists for long if they appear on the stream with uh, people like us. No, no, so, I think there will. I think there won't be journalists for long, except for the ones that appear on our stream. That's oh, what I'm going to say. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. But but I think uh, I think um, Geo is correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy um well well don't don't work yourself into a shoot as they say in wrestling um but Oren, you are um someone who i consider part of there's a new there's a new group of uh youtubers out there um and they they came out of the wake of a lot of um let me just be really honest with you a lot of grifters a lot of people <laughs> that didn't deserve the uh clout they had and there was sort of a refinement of people who were more serious and what they were doing and you were really the first one i think to if, correct me if i'm wrong um but you and endeavor and a few others um more goth to an extent the first ones to really bring neo reaction to the youtube sphere um apart from just like blogging and twitter and so you you have a number of very uh and please go everyone in the chat please go and uh, watch I, i'm i fastidiously binge uh, uh, Oren's videos, uh, but you you were one of the first ones to actually take those ideas and and put them in a package in a way that you know because people let's face it they're blogging apart from Substack it's kind of you know it's going the way of uh, the dodo but people will we're becoming more audio visual creatures and so you've managed to carve out a niche where you take these serious high-minded concepts from new reaction and you uh, put them in YouTube form. And so when people are gaming, which I'm assuming they're doing, um, then people can watch them. And, and so I commend you, my friend, and you were, uh, are an inspiration really. Uh, so, well, well, this is kind of a stupid question for those who already know, but for those who don't, what is Neo reaction? How would you define it? Uh, sure. Uh, and thank you very much, Gio. I, I really appreciate that. And and I wasn't the first, to be clear. Uh, Dave, the distributist, is probably deserves yes. a lot he, of he, friend of the show. show as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yes. reserves a lot of credit. He's the probably he's the guy who turned me on to Mitch's Mulbug. He's the guy who introduced me to that kind of philosophy. Uh, guys nice. like Endeavor and Charlemagne had been around for years talking about it. Um, but but uh, I definitely when I was uh, first I first started reading uh this stuff uh last year during the lockdowns like when lockdowns really got into full swing uh and uh at the time you know i i had heard about this but i had never and i gotten some of the ideas from like i said from watching the distributors videos 
but I'd never really dug deep. And I'm a guy who really likes political theory. It's something that's, that fascinates me. It's what my degree is in. It's, it's uh, what, what I, you know, I like to read in general. Um, it was because... also my degree, but well, one of them, by the way. But, yeah, so. <laughs> so we made the same mistake, which is good. Yes. Um, uh, well, yeah. I have a story about that, but please go ahead. <laughs> but but um, yeah, but yeah. So with everything going on, you know, post Trump election with, with the lockdowns happening uh, as some as somebody who's worked in politics, as somebody who was was reporting on politics, uh, I had a very particular idea of how it was supposed to work. And whatever was happening made no sense, right? Like the world made no sense according to what I had learned in school about politics, what I had, what I had preached, what I had taught. Um, it, it just didn't make any sense what I reported on. Nothing was working the way it was supposed to. And so I started reading, uh, you know, this guy mentioned Smallbug, uh, Curtis Yarvin. He writes under his real name now. Uh, and uh, Yarvin, what he does is he goes back and, and, and I've learned this more as I've dove deeper into the theory. I didn't know it at the time, but he has rescued a lot of, um, what we call reactionary political theory. A lot of guys like James Burnham, Joseph DeMaestra, uh, uh, guys, uh, like Carl Schmidt, DeJuvenal. Absolutely. These guys who have a, a very, uh, let's be honest, Machiavellian understanding of how power works. And he did a very good job of updating those ideas from their, you know, 18th, 19th uh, century origins and applying them to kind of the media and technological environment and culture environment we see today. And it was such a powerful analysis that I was reading this stuff that was from 2008 that was basically predicting exactly the world I lived in now. And so I found that very compelling uh, and so when I when I saw this stuff, you know, I was watching these other videos from these other guys and they did a great job. But I come from, like I said, a, a, a reporting background that was very Internet reporting. It's very boil it down, get it out quick, make it readable. Let's be honest, everybody's yeah. scrolling Article through this on the toilet. Type of, yeah. Exactly. I'm, I'm used to churning content. And so uh, and so I was like, well, I've got a set of skills. Let's apply it to this. And so that's how I ended up, you know, taking that content and try to turn it into kind of more bite-sized, understandable things for people who aren't going to chase down 500 pages of blogs in random places scattered across the internet. And, and your tweeting style as well is very much, it's it's like if you were to take like a mainstream reporter and make him woke and to what we're talking about, and, and you're very like straightforward to the point. Um, whereas Carl's bad here, he's the total opposite. He'll jam in like screen caps of uh, multiple, multiple paragraphs, citations. <laughs> but um, so that so then you you sort of traveled through that journey in this span of time. Did did you? Uh, I'm assuming you started off as a normie conservative, or how? How does that? Um... Yeah, yeah. But like I said, my degree was in political science. I had planned to work in politics. I ended up working on, you know, political Republican political campaigns, mm. that kind of thing. Uh, like I said, I inadvertently ended up falling into the reporting thing. I hadn't planned on that. But because of my political experience, someone ended up putting, you know, uh, putting me in that position. And, uh, and yeah, I had the pretty much exactly the like, roughly neocon talk talk radio gop positions you'd expect right um but like i said just the deeper i got into this the the less those things made sense and the more the you know these more clear exp explanations of power and motives uh really made far more sense and that's what i've been exploring ever since well let, let's uh, get into something heavy because it's interesting we have carlsbad here with you uh 
let me let me ask just a really general uh i guess it's pertinent now since his return if you will um carlsbad what is you you have criticisms but what would you say um is the legacy of Moldbug and his writing and and uh maybe really quickly uh well, or be, you before, go and then that, Carlsbad, because I know Carlsbad, he's really uh, critical of this. Well, before uh, before I going should... deeper, before going deeper into oh, Moldbug, yeah, yeah, we again, should... for the people who don't know, how exactly would you define neo-reaction uh, in, like, the simplest terms? Like the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. so uh, neo-reaction is a form of, of political analysis, I think is the best way to look at it. It's, it's a form of power analysis. <laughs> it's about, uh, about how these things work. And what it's trying to do is look at the world and say let's let's scrape away the you know uh, all the kind of abstractions that we've layered on the modern world how how does power actually work uh you know we look at something like the 16th century and we we could look at something like that and understand who's involved the church the king the the, the peasants the nobility all these different power centers and how do they actually uh, apply when we look at the modern world, many people look at the modern world and they say, oh, well, we have popular sovereignty, we have democracy, we have rule by the people, uh, you know, we have all these, we have limitations on power and separations of power that keep things from working this way. Uh, and there's a lot to Neo Reaction, trying to boil it down in a paragraph doesn't really work. Uh, but, but if I was going to say anything about it, I'd say that it basically says, what if humanity didn't change? What if human nature is still the same? And what if we still need churches to tell us the certain things? And what if kings really are still in control? Like, what if a lot of the kind of kind of the uh, the mechanics of power that we've pretended that have been updated and we're too modern to need to pay attention to? What if they're actually still there working under the surface, and we've just layered a lot of fancy words on top of things to pretend like we no longer function this way? Uh, like I said, there's a lot to near action. I don't think that really captures the whole thing. But if you want me to put it in a paragraph, that's that's the best I could do. Well, that's uh, asking the uh, question as far as whether the systems are still in place. But would there still be, let's say, a proposition, like a solution? Like now that we are aware of this, what is step two? Do we accept this? And if we don't accept this, what do we accept? Yeah, so so solutions are notoriously the worst part of uh, neo-reaction. Uh, it's it like I said, it is much more a descriptive thing than a proscriptive thing. There have been efforts to make a proscriptive. Moldbug himself, Yarvin himself, uh, does have a number of dis different solutions. He wrote a lot more about solutions in his original work Back in unqualified, in yeah, reservations. He had uh, he had patchwork the, the these neo cameralism uh, solutions where basically you have like uh, CEOs become kings and they run their own small countries and the, you have no say in each country, but you have any form of exit you want. I don't think these are applicable. I don't think these are really workable solutions. Uh, and and I, don't, I think it's best if we understand, and, and this is just me, this is not me speaking for anybody or any movement or anything, but I think it's best if neo-reaction is understood purely as an analysis of how power works rather than a set of solutions anything that's going to be solution based is going to require a certain kind of passion and uh and and a certain kind of vision for the future that i think the cold systems power analysis of neo reaction kind of lacks and so i think it's a good tool to have in your box but i don't think it's a 
answer to everything in and of itself, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Before we keep going, I just want to say again, all the new people subscribe. And also, I want to shout out to Alexander Plotnik, who is joining us here. I believe that you are working on a new drawing right now. And I love your uh, early 90s shirt that you yeah. have on. Okay. It's very nice. It's very much a Memphis, uh, 90s Memphis. That's oh, yeah, thank you. And also, I want to uh, go to uh, Catherine Brodsky before we turn to uh, Moldbug and ask Catherine, Catherine, do you have any questions right now uh, for Oren based on what he uh, said so far? Anything that needs to be cleared up? Not yet, but I'm sure I will. Excellent. Or maybe, uh, Catherine, what do you think yeah. as someone, uh, Oren being someone who is uh, in the inside, now he's on the outside looking in, uh, but someone who's very much in the um, inside of journalism, what is the sort of picture like? What? Why do you think people uh, have left your profession, or what? What Oren has said about your profession? Uh, maybe if uh, you know, if you, if you were to be honest about the state of journalism, it's not. <laughs> it's not doing too well, from what I've heard. Yeah, I mean, some people think that's not going to exist anymore, and that all the journalists are going to be living on Substacks. Um, <laughs> I do well. not think that's the case because I don't think you can make that work uh, for, for a lot of ty types of journalism. I think it's become an environment where people have become kind of activists through journalism as opposed to actually reporting and i think maybe that's one of the biggest problems that i'm seeing is that people are just um well i mean there's a few things that are going on right that contributed to this is it's first of all i, I think a lot of it is actually financial i think uh, you know when the internet uh, came to be and stories became free it became even harder than ever before to sort of have uh, publications. Also, publications used to be, you know, everybody read kind of the same ones. And now there's more, I would argue, actually, there's probably more than ever. There's a lot of different media outlets in the world. Um, but it makes it even harder to get that audience. And then be, because they're giving away content for free, that means now they're, they're, you know, they're, they're making shorter stories, they're paying writers less. If you pay writers less, writers have less time to do good work on the stories right so you're not going to get the same quality you're not going to have the same level of investigative journalism and you know what uh what was said about you know the press conferences and everyone's trying to sort of spin their own version of the story and trying to get the clicks and the clickbait that's a huge part of it as well because it's all about the clickbait and the, and it, honestly it doesn't matter if your story is good or not right it's all about is that person going to click on it in that moment? And that doesn't necessarily take a good story. So that's that's a huge problem. I don't know if like a lot of people are leaving journalism per se. I think maybe a lot of good people are leaving journalism. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, Could you imagine, like, I'll give you an example. Could you imagine just, um, and, and maybe one day Lev, he'll come on the show. I mean, that'd be like, that, that would uh, be a sheer drop brain buster for our audience. Um, but for example, would you, could you imagine 10 years ago, someone like Glenn Greenwald getting interviewed by our good friend, Nicolo Salo uh, on Substack? Like that to me, when I saw that interview, that was wild. Like that's, you know, the guy, literally the guy who runs Salo forums interviewing Glenn Greenwald. So that we live in an interesting world now. Yeah, Glenn was on a Clubhouse the other day too. So, oh yeah. yeah, a lot of people seem to think that journalists can be just like regular people reporting who have some expertise, and I mean, 
I guess that depends on how you define journalism. And I guess how I defined journalism, how I saw that is somebody who's a professional question asker and question answer, right? So, you know, it's about the research, about how you present the information, how you write the story. Uh, you may not be an expert, but you're good at finding experts. And so when it turns from that to something else, yeah, then then it becomes a problem. And I think that's that's sort of what's been happening in the world today is that people aren't asking questions. They're also, you know, they're presenting one particular side. And it's always been interesting to me, even if it's a side I disagree with. And a lot of the things that I like to talk about are things that I actually might have disagreements about. But that's so important in terms of like actually having a strong point of view and 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 giving the reader something to actually think about and I think it's far more persuasive if you can present both arguments and that let somebody decide, right? If you really truly believe in whatever your your belief is, you kind of need to be able to challenge that. What's well, funny, this- I, was, I was watching one of Oren's videos uh, where he talks about this, uh, this approach to sort of like the open um, marketplace of ideas is sort of like dying and maybe it was a fiction to begin with but um well we could get into that but we have two good observations one is by our good friend of the show zero hp lovecraft zhp says that journalists that can't survive in substack um they will die out and they deserve so and another Ooh. one by our patron buff can women become clear-pilled Aaron, can women become clear-pilled wait or is it impossible <laughs> I, can I, can I this yeah, Oren, what does yeah, pill we, mean? We might be way too deep into the jargon way too early. Um, That's what I sure. keep saying. That's what yeah. I keep saying to you people. Well, I, I know yeah. red pills. I know blue pills. I, yeah. I have not heard yes. of pill so, yet. So one, one of the things that uh, Yarvin is kind of known for is he's actually a guy who who kind of invented the red pill terminology. Yeah. He, he was the first guy to use it way back in 2008. and It kind of got popularized way beyond him. Way more people know about that terminology than know about Neo reaction and the Wachowskis hate him because of that, yes so. they do they really they really yeah. do um but uh but one of the things that Yarvin is big on is that uh basically uh active political participation will not change the system we're in it's not going to change because um you know people who are right wing go out and protest uh it's not going to change because they go out and try to get insert people elected the system is arrayed in a way where it's not going to allow uh, certain forces to move forward uh, in the culture. And so because of that, uh, one of the best things you can do is learn to find other avenues to move to, to kind of better yourself, better your community, move yourself forward and, and prepare for a time in which you will have the option to make more significant changes. Become worthy is, is the terminology that often gets used. Mm. And so the clear pill is this idea that rather than becoming obsessed with what you can do and how you can become important and how you can become politically active in, 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 in a major way, understanding that it, that often uh, becoming politically disengaged and instead learning, you know, uh, to spend your time bettering yourself and, and your family, you know, kind of, kind of building your power level is a better use of your time currently than actively trying to get involved in movements that are going to get co-opted or not going to have a chance of really moving the ball forward. Wow. That's, that's probably the best definition. Um, I, I was even confused a little bit initially about the clear pill, but you've spelled it out, but I'm curious. Uh, well, 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 Catherine, I just want to make sure uh, we get your take. What do you think about the clear pill now that it's been uh, explained? I'm, 
I feel bad. Oh, well, the chat is going to explode after that. So I know. You know what? It's funny too, because I was, uh, to be honest, I was reading the chat and I it was. Don't, that was your first mistake. <laughs> Never yeah, read yeah, the yeah. chat. <laughs> and I was thinking, okay, because some people are saying things like, uh, journalists of the past being subjective is, 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 is a lie. And that's not, not true. I mean, I think there's always a level of subjectivity. I just think there was a little bit more nuance to the way that things were covered. Well, than... th does it depend on the era? Cause there was the yellow journalism back in the day. Yeah. So yeah. that was pretty, you know, yeah. And I mean, I'm thinking in the times more recently where, you know, I kind of I grew up reading and really admiring and loving the things like The New Yorker, you know, which does have a particular slant, I'm sure, for sure. But oh, God, there. well, yeah, the last <laughs> five care. years has not been kind. To the well, New Yorker. yeah, I haven't read it, uh, to be honest, in the last five years. I, oh, God. Yeah. But but I used to but when I grew up I used to and then a lot of people were were commenting about women <laughs> and there's all these well, comments well, about women being social justice warriors. Yeah, <laughs> women are passionate about social justice. Um, yeah. Buff says I patronize many women. I wonder what that means, Buff. Um, no, Buff, you have to become a patron of our show because Geo called you a patron. Was, no, he's Buff not. Was. No, oh he's God. not. This is why you have to become a patron. Patreon.com. Well, you could take some rules. of that money from patronizing women if you know what i mean and, and towards break the rules so uh, um but carl's bad i wanted to get your take what do you how do you assess if you were to go to someone i may be getting in the weeds of here because it's carl's bad but if you were to go to like just someone who is like a total normie how what, what would you say neo reaction is and what is your general i know you have many uh, thoughts and criticisms but just really quickly um what would you be your take on the legacy of Moldbug? Yeah, yeah. So uh, in terms of neo-reaction in general, I would describe it as a kind of synthesis between uh, evolutionary psychology, game theory, pickup artistry, and a little bit of Moldbug's ad hoc historical takes. Honestly, I think the phenomenon is two-faceted. On one hand, its legacy... It has left very little. I mean, to be honest, NRX has basically burned out in my estimation several years ago. Its heyday was around basically, I think, 2014, 2015, when you had like all the old bloggers like, uh, you know, Spandro, Henry Dampierre, Jim. There were many others like Handel who stopped blogging. Uh, the thing about Moldbox specifically, yes, I am quite critical. Uh, because for one thing, uh, he's a ruthless, logical positivist. For one thing, that's what formalism ultimately is. He, his knowledge of Christianity is basically non-existent. I mean, to give you a quick example, the term crypto-Calvinist. Uh, historically, well, we into this on Twitter, yes, yes. It has a specific meaning. It means a Lutheran who denies the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, which ultimately led, of course, for example, to the... Uh, Concord formula in like the late 16th century, which defined Lutheran dogma. Uh, uh, he uses this very loosely to mean effectively liberal. Uh, for example, also Sir Robert Filmer, the defender of uh, Anglican absolutism. Uh, Moldbuck calls him a Catholic, which is absolutely ridiculous given that Filmer was explicitly responding to the Catholic natural law philosophy of Robert Bellarmine and Francisco Suarez. Like that just that's a complete historiographic faux pas. It's incredible. 
uh, his understanding of classical international law is also nonsense. Uh, like people like Emer de Vatel, for example, who are basically Enlightenment naturalists, he portrays them as some sort of reactionaries, which is ridiculous again. The way he revived Machiavellianism, I mean, Machiavelli's name for most of history was effectively synonymous with the devil for good reason, because Machiavelli, his ultimate legacy was to disassociate the virtues of a ruler from his state, from the way he governs. He subjected political virtues to necessity, to expediency, to reason of state, essentially. Uh, mm. Pure like Machtpolitik. Uh, he did popularize the Italian elite school of uh, Gaetano Mosca, Wilfredo Pareto, Robert Michels. Elite theory, yes. But uh, he, now these elite theorists, they have a very specific historical context. Uh, they emerge effectively from Italian unification. Yeah. Most of these people, they're bourgeois liberals who basically become dissatisfied with the state of parliamentary government. Uh, they're not really reactionary in like the sense of they're like counter-revolutionaries. They're people who are basically concerned with, uh, you know, liberalism not living up to its true ideals. In fact, the clearest example is Robert Michels, his work on political parties. Why did he write that book? Well, he, the reason he wrote it is because uh, he was a socialist, later became a fascist. But at the time he was a socialist and uh, he was wondering why the SPD, the German Social Democratic Party, you know, you know, these people have been around for 20 years. They have a massive political base. Why aren't they starting the revolution yet? And the answer is, ah, you see, it's the iron law of oligarchy. That's the reason. Uh, I, I could go on and on critiquing Moldbug. That's not really the point. But overall, I think his uh, just various uh, grave historical mis misinterpretations in all sorts of aspects. Uh, uh, he does, I will admit, the best part of him are the primary sources that he quotes regarding history, like, for example, on uh, loyalism, the Confederacy. He had a great uh, source book regarding World War II. So he does, he did uncover a lot of good historical gems, but pretty much all of his uh, descriptive philosophy has aged quite badly, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, that would be my take in general. Wow, that was holy crap. Um, but yeah, I mean, the criticism of Machiavelli, but... Um... Uh, I, I want to add, yeah. So to understand Moldbuck, uh, he was writing around 2008, 2009, right? So this was during the Bush era blogosphere. And liberals back then were uh, very different, as you might remember. You had, of course, uh, you know, liberals were fighting against the evangelical Christian right. The religious you know, right. The who wanted majority. To, yeah, yeah, who were going to, like, uh, you know, ban evolution from being taught in schools. Not like they give a damn about evolution, of course. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, that he was talking about the kinds of, like, liberals who read the Daily Coast, who complained about uh, free speech zones that... Bush that was went imposing. on Democratic Underground back You then. remember the uh, South Park Republican? That's the kind of person that Moldbug was addressing in the open letter to open-minded progressives. He was a, a, addressing a kind of sincere liberal committed to the, to like value pluralism, equality before the law, 
things like that, you know, liberal values in the old sense. And he was trying to tell them, all right, look, man, the world doesn't work the way you think it does. The, wor the world works on the basis of these Machiavellian elitist principles and democracy is a sham. Democracy obscures uh, sovereignty, which is absolute, indivisible and always uh, runs latent in any form of government. But what ended up happening, of course, is that the left progressives and liberals today are ruthless Machiavellians who want to crush their political enemies. So, uh, you know, teaching them about Machiavelli was a very bad idea in retrospect. Uh, and also, like democracy, uh, liberals no longer believe in democracy at all. I mean, there was actually a book by this like left libertarian guy, uh, Jason Brennan, came out oh, about yeah. five, five years ago, like it, it was like very uh, positively reviewed in mainstream sources where he called for like an epistocracy, you know, a rule by the expert elite, you know. And of course, these days, you know, we hear all about how, you know, unfettered free speech is giving rise to fascism, so on and so forth, the evils of populism. So liberals no longer believe in democracy either. So this entire NRX critique of democracy is completely irrelevant the fact of the matter and plus the uh, and plus the fact that Moldbuck's critique isn't particularly good either because you know the whole I, i'm not gonna get into sovereignty oh, because that's well, the whole that's, kind of yeah but, that's, yeah, that's I'm, a bit I'm, too uh, i'm close i'm closing here wow that's that's been something else but lev why did you hold up a transformer when he was talking about is that, is I, that put, like a... I put an image okay this has to do with buck because uh i put an image of power rangers spd because that was one of the Power Ranger shows, because Buff mentioned SPD, the political party, and then Buff wrote, oh show God. us your Megazords. So I oh. did what Buff said. There we he go. That's, that's... He's appeasing the fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But <laughs> shameless fan service. But, Oren, uh, if you were to defend, um, Mold, maybe perhaps defend Moldbug, because that was very interesting and in, in a nuanced critique. Um, but what, what would you make of that assessment of, of uh, Moldbug's legacy? Uh, so I think that there's plenty to be said about the sprawling work of a very unfocused blog in 2008 from a guy <laughs> who was a tech entrepreneur writing about political theory and history. Uh, and you'll have uh, plenty of critiques to make and they'll probably be right. Um, I, I don't think that Mulbug's canon is, uh, is perfect or unassailable. Uh, I do think saying that it doesn't make uh, impressive predictions about the future is just incorrect. I, I think if you read it, uh, you read what, what he points out, the systems he points out, the way he lays out power and what he expects to happen with it. Uh, and you look at the world around us, I think, uh, you know, and, and, you know, obviously everyone's going to have to make their own analysis on that. I think it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, I disagree with Moldbug on plenty of stuff. Uh, I am myself uh, a Christian and I think that's pretty central moving forward for our culture and our society Moldbug is uh you know basically and he says this you know right up front uh you know i i'm basically a progressive guy you know who lived in a progressive world you know raised by progressive parents uh you know i am these people i, I have these values and so um so even my values might might differ pretty pretty significantly for and so therefore what I think is a is a positive vision for the future would differ significantly. I don't think you need to agree with every 
uh, like I said, every facet of the work to find it valuable. This is true of other authors uh, that were pointed out, like, uh, you know, Spandrel, uh, guys like Nick Land. Uh, I don't agree with Spandrel or Nick Land's vision of the future, what they want, what they think is good for society, um, any more than I agree with, with a number of people thinkers who I think are valuable to understand and have powerful models that make accurate predictions about politics and how power works. I don't think that we need, I don't think it's wise to discard people because of like, like Plato got stuff wrong, right? Like, like yeah. nobody actually wants to live in the Republic. That doesn't mean you don't read the Republic, right? You're putting um, a mold bug of I, I am not, I, I, I am uh. not, but but what, I, what I'm saying is if Plato can be wrong, then clearly other people can probably be wrong and still have valuable insights. Uh, Moldbug is most certainly not Plato, but I am, what I am saying is I don't, I don't think it's uh, fair to discard uh, the entire analysis because of the, the parts of which maybe well, uh, you, know, you don't agree with long-term. Well, about Spandrel, I mean, I don't agree with his sort of... Um... Well, it's interesting, the human biodiversity thing. I th I think I, I wouldn't agree with necessarily like this sort of dogmatism around Evo Psych and things like that. But I mean, the ideas that he has produced in terms of IQ Shredder, um, his, his blog post about the future of social media, things like that, I think are fundamental. And I mean, even bio-Leninism, I, mean, I have my criticisms about how effective it is going to be in the future. And he blocked me for it before he got banned. But you got banned, Spandrel, so fuck you um no i'm kidding if spandra wants to come on the show um but i uh i think bioleninism is sort of like a concept that is pretty much i mean come on we're living through it right now so um and for those who don't know bioleninism is the theory that um loyalty is ensured by uh taking select groups of people and sort of reifying their identities and therefore promoting them into these managerial systems into what they call the PMCs, you know, the private managerial class, professional managerial class. What does reifying mean? Sorry, Gio. Like reifying, well, it comes from like the term of like bringing something into existence. So you are, you are sort of like bracketing something, you are making it into a concrete form. I, I mean, I'm butchering the definition, obviously, but you're sort of taking those core identities that are normally d disparate and sort of contradictory. And you are, you know, through various methods of uh, intersectionality and so forth, you are creating an inside party of the sort of functionary class by taking these people who usually would be at the bottom of the social hierarchy and promoting them into positions of power and therefore ensuring maximum loyalty to the system itself. And I think that's a good idea. I think the it, it ends when like you basically have uh, idiocracy and like the vast majority of people are just total incompetent retard. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm an uh, idiot. Uh, I try to avoid the R word, but, um, but I think those ideas are apt, but in terms of this, Oren, would you agree that the left has become more Machiavellian, though, and, and sort of that, and Carlsbad, I kind of would disagree as well. I think that as much as I think Machiavelli got the ball rolling in terms of disenchantment and other things, uh, I don't know, but is would you describe the modern left as Machiavellian, in other words, Oren? Um, uh, I would say that the left is far more aware of what it takes to wield power and what it means to wield power. And I think they're far more willing to do what it takes to acquire it and, and move the ball forward in that area. I think that as 
the left has become more in love with its own kind of noble lie as over the years it has told itself this story about who and what it is and why it came to power it's kind of losing that and 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 i know it's weird to say that as we see them in ascendance to kind of their most you know formally powerful they've been in a long time but i think um I think that um, the majority of the people, and this is kind of part of of biolinism in a way too, the people who are driving the machine are no longer the people who designed the machine. And so uh, the the people who are now kind of operating the left-wing, you know, kind of uh, power uh, machine are no longer the people who understood how it got kind of built in the first place. Uh, They are doing things like slamming the door behind them with free speech, but that was always going to happen. Like free speech was something that was, you know, the, the these kind of values of you should be able to go out and destroy your society and say whatever you want and, 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 and you know, challenge every single value were things that allowed the left, uh, the radical left to enter power. They, they were there to open the door and they were always going to get slammed behind as soon as they were done. As the, the, what's the, the Dune quote, uh, you know, when I was a uh, week, I, I, uh, used your 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 or i when i was weak i asked for freedom because it was according to your principles when i was strong i take away your freedom because it's according to my to principles, my principles yeah. and then that's that's kind of was always going to be the evolution of uh, the way the left was going to view you know the open marketplace of ideas i'm uh, very curious in what you think of this article from uh 2003 uh sorry 2013 written by uh, our uh, good friend from the, uh, as I call it, Star Slater Codex. I know that's not what it's called, but uh, I'm uh, talking about Scott Alexander, called We We Wrestle Not With Flesh and Blood, But Against Powers and Principalities. I don't know if, uh, have you read this article before? No, I, I, I know of Scott Alexander. I know that, you know, Moldbug has has written some articles on him and, or, you know, responses to his work and his situation of kind of being canceled recently. I know at some point he he wrote some kind of takedown of of neo reactionary theory, but honestly, yeah, that, I'm not that super. Actually, support while well, in the end concluded support for. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard from a number of people that yeah. his his attack on NRX is what made them believe NRX was correct. Yeah, I want <laughs> to. Well, despite that, I want to read a little bit of it at the end. This is just like the uh, juicy points that he wrote down in short after the long ones. So he says over here, we noted that the driving force of large-scale historical change was technological progress, that societies underwent cultural evolution into forms that were most adapted to the technological conditions of their age, that this evolution was convergent and even unconnected civilizations like Ramses' Egypt and Montezuma's Aztecs could come to resemble each other when they faced similar material problems. We then noted that what looks like political progress from the outside is just humans reacting to the shifting landscape of incentives. Although feminism appears as a movement spearheaded by particular feminists who got it into their head that feminism was a good idea and so decided to push it, a casually useful ideology, that's an interesting word, of feminism would trace the technological conditions that predestined it to arise and succeed. We accused reactionaries of condemning or excusing such movements as if they were contingent human creations and of acting like... Hold on, there's noise coming from Alexandra, I think. 
Uh, and, uh, okay, we excuse the reactionaries of condemning or excusing such movements as if they were contingent human creations and of acting like pushing a few humans or institutions out of the way here or there would change them. Instead, we concluded that they were vast tides in the affairs of women and that or men and any attempt to order them around was hubris worthy of King Canute. Then we accuse reactionaries of a bit of a double standard excusing traditional society's lesser wealth and health by placing the blame on technological progress, but being unwilling to let progressives do the same in areas where technological progress has inevitably made us worse off, such as the production of feelings of social alienation. Finally, we accused reactionaries of arguing that past societies were well-adapted without specifying well-adapted to what. We hypothesize that if forced to finish the statement, it would end up with well adapted to the technologies and conditions of the centuries they flourished. The very fact that they stopped flourishing and they replaced and were replaced by our society suggests they are well less adapted to conditions today. Or as G.K. Chesterton puts it in a different context, there is one broad fact about the relations of Christianity and paganism, which is so simple that many will smile at it, but which is so important all moderns forget it. The primary fact about Christianity and paganism is that one came after the other. If Mr. Laus Dickinson speaks to them as if they were parallel ideals, even speaks as if paganism were the newer of the two and the more fitted for a new age, he suggests that the pagan ideal will be the ultimate good of man, but if that were so, we must at least ask one more curiosity than he allows for. Why it was that the man actually found his ultimate good on earth under the stars and threw it away again. I do not think these problems completely disprove reaction. They are merely wall off several potential lines of argument and support. The argument that ancient cultures empirically achieved better outcomes than our own, and the argument that they were more stable and better adapted. So... What do you think? Uh, yeah, so that's a lot of text to analyze. I know. Uh, yes, I know. It. I kind of um, threw it all yeah. out there all at once. Uh, my, my general reaction from just what I caught there uh, would, would probably be that um, there is a uh, we're kind of trained in a common belief that the most modern thing is the best, like the thing that history moves in a particular direction in a, in a, in a, it is you know, the progress of history, the moral arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. You know, the, the, this kind of idea that the history is always moving in a positive direction. Um, I think that uh, there's, a, there's a lot of danger when we pretend that's the case. I don't think every development is a good development. That doesn't mean there aren't a uh, good thing. You know, obviously, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty glad that I don't die of an infection. Uh, you know, if I if I get a cut on my arm. Uh, so obviously, like, uh, one of the things that people uh, will say is things like, well, reactionaries, you know, they, they just don't want technology to exist. They all want to go back to, you know, you have to live exactly like someone lived in the 1500s to be a real reactionary, you know, get rid of penicillin. Um, I don't think that that's uh, correct. I think that what, what and again, this is speaking for me, I can't I can't define this for everybody who's ever use the phrase reactionary what what i'm what i think of when i think about this is realizing that family and social structures that existed in previous societies created far more stability and community than the ones we have today and there are needs that humans have there are 
there are things that humans rely on for each other through community, through religion, through all these different things that didn't magically disappear because we figured out like universities and birth control and the internet. And when we pretend that the technology removes the needs for those things and that we have is solely made a positive move uh, as a human species be simply because technology has advanced and the and the the social order that it comes with is positive i think we're making a mistake i think that's a really an interesting point you know that i i just wrote that you know there's a reason why we have dystopian movies right because not everything that society does is necessarily moving us in the right direction so being kind of aware of that but also figuring out like how do we figure out where is the right move and where it's not because some things i do think have gotten better and maybe i am one of those social <laughs> minded women uh, that were being referenced in the comment section but you know i or social justice or whatnot but you know i think certain things um because you know i do believe in individualism and and people having freedoms and and rights like to me that's a good thing it might not be such a good thing to someone else because maybe it doesn't serve them in the same way but you know but how do we kind of you know i think things kind of develop very we don't really realize where we go wrong until years later right like you know we even take something like social media which in the internet which had had some great um, you know, things about it and some horrible things about it. And we only kind of realize that when we have that, you know, uh, hindsight. So well, as a I, mean, society, I wonder how you would say we should figure that out and assess that before it's kind of too late. Well, well we, uh, Alexander says over here that uh, you could agree that cult in order to save reaction, you could agree that cultures evolve, but that for some reason the cultural evolution mechanism has gone berserk over the past hundred years. And to make this stick, you'd have to give some reason uh, uh, why this would happen. And you'd have to prove that it was so berserk that the best we can do is reboot it from a saved copy before it's breakdown. But uh, what, what oh, do you think of that? I like that language. A lot of things. Yes, I know. It's a very... Uh, no, but I think that's probably like... Uh, the Like it not, like Carlsbad, you bring up like the positivism aspect. I think that's probably my critique, certainly, of Neo Reaction or even like the rationalists in general, which is like... I mean, granted, if you were to posit that Neo Reaction came from like less wrong culture uh re, you know the rats neo rats whatever can't i can't believe it's not rationalism um no it comes from it comes from libertarianism i mean it's fairly oh, yeah, obvious to read the... yeah uh, but but um i think like that even the language of like rebooting a culture is like social technology which i mean yeah. yes it's a good model but um, horrible oh but what well, well before you get to that, Carlsbad, I just want to mention that Jules said in the chat that apparently they just kicked off James O'Keefe from Twitter. I knew that was coming. You know, it's like, do you remember that one scene in The Sopranos where uh, Vito, uh, they were all hanging out the, at the job site, and then uh, uh, someone made a, a joke about uh, Eugene's wife. Uh, Paulie Jr. made a joke about Eugene's wife, and he starts beating the <laughs> crap out of him. Then Vito just goes, I knew that was coming. So... Um, yeah, but that again, that goes to the point that, Oren, what you were saying is that James O'Keefe is a guy that is doing ostensibly what the left used to do back in the day, where you capture people on video, they don't know what they're saying, or rather, they don't know who they're saying it to. But really, I mean, after all of those videos of 
uh, Project Veritas interviewing, I don't know, some head of the Southern Poverty Law Center that, that says that we're going to like get these evil racists off of social media or what whatnot. It's like, it's, it doesn't matter anymore. Right. Like who, like, I, I hate to say this, I hate to be cynical, but has James O'Keefe, his, his work in journalism, has that really like moved the needle or is it just going to move the needle for like, I don't know, people that watch Fox news or whatever. So I'm not familiar with John O'Keefe. Is he, who does he, he runs project Veritas, um, okay. which is a conservative, like, they they do things like the the like journalists will pretend to be like activists and they'll have like GoPro cameras and they'll like interview people who are in positions of power and they'll say something like they'll say like conservative red meat and and, and stuff like that and uh, he puts these videos like I think he was the one that broke the Google story where the the guy what you see you don't even realize his name anymore the, the google no, the big guy. one was you remember the planned parenthood abortion one yes, though, I, that, that, that was the one, one. that, ex- that yes. exploded yeah, yeah. i think yeah. there's a, a problem with like how we've got you know somebody like him is making really who's watching that content like i would imagine more conservatives right and and yeah. people on the left who's watching their content and that i think is probably one of the biggest problems is that you know, people create this content and it's that, that, that basically reinforces what people already think. And I'd really love to find a way that we can create something where people really have that interaction. And, and, you know, because I've even talked to a few people have sort of been canceled, you know, on, on the left. And they say that the only media outlets that will have them are conservative. Yeah, exactly. And they're not even conservatives. That's the thing, right? They're not even conservative. Yeah, well, what did Barry Weiss do right after she went to Dave Rubin? I mean, come on. Right, right. Not that he's yeah. a conservative. Not, not quite, but like close, right? And, yeah. and this has happened to a few people I know who, who have a similar kind of profile to that. So, and, and when we have these conversations, you know, they say, well, it's not that I want to go on these conservative platforms. It's like, they just don't really have a platform to go on. And, and I would love to see or figure out some way where hey like like but where they even differ from the conservatives at this point like i don't know how different are they from the conservatives in most well, things that they talk about well yeah they must the political I mean. ideology has moved to because i think people on the and i'm not conservative so maybe i don't know but like my feeling is that within the conservatives uh side of things there's a lot of people who are i would uh count more as li- like libertarians or people who just are just kind of tired maybe of what's kind of going on in the culture uh aren't necessarily full-on conservatives in the sense of like you know let's restrict people's rights you know they might not even you know things like uh you know abortions and um and things like you know, different human rights i don't know like that's not an, i don't know why love is cracking up <laughs> is that nick land, is that nick land? Oh, it is it is yeah. oh my god, oh my god. I, I think the red brown alliance is based uh did you see that daily beast um that hit piece where they like take um i don't know the red scare girls uh glenn greenwald um who else (laughs) the person who i don't want to name on the show anymore because he's whatever and they like say well they're just like bronze age pervert and uh the nick sallow and uh who else uh, some other oh oh uh, andrew england obviously so it's like all these people who were like even marxist they're now um according to the daily beast they're now in line with bronze age pervert and uh 
driving me crazy because as as you know especially if you're on the le- if you know people on the left whatever yeah. place you are in oh, and they mentioned mobile why too, do you not way. have these conversations and that i i think that's the most frustrating thing like if somebody goes against whatever that movement is and they get canceled we never like people who should hear their stories and could still disagree with them, by the way, they, they can, you know, maybe they're wrong to that many ways, but they're not hearing their stories. They just get kind of removed and then they become de facto conservatives because conservatives will kind of embrace them more. And yeah, I think oh, so fundamentally wrong. No, go ahead, Aaron. Uh, so actually this process is super useful to the left. And the thing to understand about this is that uh, this is an unescapable pull that, that takes our culture and our media and, and everything else, our politics, that direction. Because what you're talking about is basically the basically all your 1990s Democrats are mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. conservatives, right? Just yeah. just like no, literally, like you can't hold like Barack Obama's position on gay marriage when he was elected will now get you fired from every major corporation in America. There's a great French term for this phenomenon, by the way, sinisterism. You can look it up. Go ahead. Okay. But yeah, but yeah, the, uh, but this is a very useful process because what happens is you simply keep sliding that Overton window to the point where you push, um, you, you keep pushing these people over to the conservatives. When they move over to the conservatives, the conservatives are so happy to have somebody that people know and used to respect that they immediately rush to bring this person into their fold. This is why they love to have them on Fox News and you know, and Dave Rubin starts showing up on all the on conservative talk radio. So you, and, and it's always the same. So you got canceled? Yeah, How I can't that? believe. Yeah they're, yeah, they're the intolerant ones. Ha ha ha. And, <laughs> and, and it's they bring always them on. the same. Yeah, they, they all they all they all do this come to Jesus, you know, the road to, to Damascus thing. And then what does conservatism do? It sprints as quickly as it can to the left to bring these people on board because it thinks by acquiring more of these people, it's going to gain a purchase in the culture. But that's not what happens. What happens is the ruling class continues to move further to the left. The agenda keeps moving in that direction. It just keeps discarding the people who happen to be suckers like Dave Rubin and actually believe in free speech or these kind of things. Like they they, they, they just discard people who actually bought into this ideology and then they end up shifting everything leftward. But what messes, what creates kind of a mess here is because then the left kind of loses these thoughts, right? Like ultimately, if people on the left have different views or their views change or they push back, it should in theory change the the way that the left operates and thinks, right? But instead what happens is they get pushed out, then they the, the conservatives sort of embrace them. So those people now become kind of conservative and then the left moves further to the left. But I think, but what you said, Catherine is, and then I want to get Carl's bad, um, is interesting because, and and Oren, you talk about this in your videos too. I think the problem is that we're viewing uh, the output of ideas itself, the way that like, you know, like in a very meme language, like the way Dave Rubin talks about the marketplace of ideas. It's like, the problem is that I feel that people view ideas not as something that is operationalized and ultimately serves a sort of utilitarian end, but, or, or, or I would say like a property and this is coming from someone. And I know it's like, I can't even mention his name now because everyone hates him now, but as a Foucauldian um, power is something that operates at the site of it. 
at, at its operation. And so the problem is that people view it as a commodity that you can like sort of a zero sum, like real, like hard industry commodity, like, like steel, for instance, where you could like use it and you could like bring it. And it's like, our side has these ideas that we can sort of grab and, and take. And when we lose, when we, sorry, when we lose those people, we're losing those ideas. To me, that is very well-intentioned Catherine, but I feel that, it's they don't they've discovered they don't really need people who have these very like nuanced and, and alternative ways of looking at things they did at a point when they were a cultural when they were ostensibly like a counter-cultural vanguard but as sort of power gets solidified within one sort of train of thinking they slow off any like alternative but um and they really don't need like people like Glenn, like Glenn Greenwater or the Red Scare Girls. They can have all the brilliant ideas um, or I don't know who's an intellectual that got canceled. Um, I know a few of like the smaller ones like. Uh, oh, God. Well, well there's I, a lot of European ones. Well, Gio, I was talking to someone recently. Yeah. I've had a conversation with a journalist who is, is probably far, you know, she's she's a little bit more on the she's not conservative, but she's, but she's, uh, she's very outspoken. And there is like a worry, right, about getting fired, right? A very Mm -hmm. worry. And but the problem is, it's not so easy to go, hey, I'll go work at, you know, Fox or whatever, you know, because that doesn't really fit in with the ideology of the human being and so what happens is it becomes really difficult I think also for people to speak because if you get if you're conservative and you speak you still have your you know your group of people but if you're on the left and you speak that's it right you lose because you don't want to go to the right because that doesn't necessarily fit your the outlaw world. mud show of the media <laughs> another wrestling term it's the outlaw mud show to go on yeah. fox news from i don't know cnn or somewhere well like i yeah. i mean i can't go war- work for fox like that wouldn't be the right thing it doesn't quite align and so but you'd also have to conform to like other like certain yeah. You do. And that's and that's the problem is like, okay, some of it I maybe naturally conform because it, it does it fits in with my worldview, but some things don't and and then you become sort of silenced when they don't because you you know you either if you're gonna speak out about it, you're gonna find yourself in a pickle. And if as as I well know at this point, or you know, or you don't speak up about it. And I think most of the time that's what happens because you sort of don't have options if you are if you generally align with one world view. Yeah, and, and Carl's bad. You you had a point. And then I want to say this comment from a monetizing leftism who always brings the fire in the chat. Um, yeah, I, that, <laughs> I, I, agree, I agree. Monetizing leftism is on point, uh, I have to say. But uh, what, what exactly did you, do you want me to? You you were saying something about before about the the media and James O'Keefe, and uh, you wanted to say something. Well, yeah, okay. Actually, I want to ask a question for Oren. Uh, by oh, the go way, ahead, yeah. uh, this this is regarding this is regarging Moldbug. Uh, he said earlier that uh, his predictions have been vindicated i would like to ask which ones because let me say first of all the a mold bug one of his primary thesis is that uh, leftism its ultimate cause is a kind of uh, it's insecure power like there's a leakage of political power 
sovereignty is being uh, partitioned among various uh, institutions and that the false opposition, the outer party, that is said in the American context, the GOP, by serving as this like ceremonial fake opposition, they end up uh, creating this impression on part of the left that they are in fact the underdog when in reality they are the hegemonic elite. But what's happened over the past five or so years is that as a matter of fact, left-wing power has become they is become ever more like in a way centralized, ever more pervasive, ever more, you might say, formalized. And yet, despite all this, they far from this uh, formalization, however imperfect of power, uh, creating, let's say, I don't know, lowering their time preference to make them like better rulers. It has only made them even more hysterical and fanatical. So to me, this whole materialist view of power is just plain wrong. But what, what exactly do you think that he got right in your opinion regarding predictions? Uh, well, so so a lot of that analysis of the way uh, of, of, you know, divided sovereignty and, and what that does, uh, a lot of that is is kind of also coming, I think, off of, uh, you know, uh, from from the kind of the chain of, of Machiavelli to, to Preto to Burnham talking about you're kind of your lions and your foxes, right? And your lions are going to, you know, Prado calls them essences or residues, sorry. Uh, but but whatever, whichever terminology you want to use, you're, as your society becomes more ruled by cunning than force, as it becomes more ruled by kind of your crafty elites that are looking to mix ideas and, and create new ideas as opposed to... Um, as, as opposed to, you know, you're, you're more patriotic and, and you're uh, more uh, military-minded leadership, uh, you're going to start to see power become uh, uh, insecure, right? And one of the things that we've done with, with uh, power by trying to spread it out, trying to use popular sovereignty, that kind of thing, as, as has created a very insecure environment for, uh, for power. They have to pretend that power works in a way that it doesn't. You have to layer a lot of myths about power on top of each other to kind of keep the foxes in power because they can't wield kind of force in the way that, that lions do. And so they, they need to be clever. They need to use subterfuge. They need to use, uh, they need to basically lie to the people in order to kind of keep them under the thumb of people who would not naturally necessarily rise to leadership in a, in a more traditional society. And so because of that, he says, when, when power does get exercised, it's going to get exercised more sloppily, more haphazardly, uh, more brutally in many ways, because they don't understand how to use it. Um, I think that's what we're seeing. In many ways, you're right. Like the, the power has consolidated. That has not calmed the left down. That has only fed uh, much of their craziness. But we have to understand the way in which that power has been consolidated. It's been consolidated by the left capturing still very many decentralized institutions that feed into our cultural and political reality. And so I don't think that we have the left having more formal power in the sense that they have changed many of the direct rules. I think it feels that way because corporations and, 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 other, uh, and, and, and other entities are more willing to kind of be forward with uh, you know their social justice regulations and that kind of thing, they they have a bigger impact on uh, culture than they used to, or at least more more 
evident one than they used to. But I think we also see that that power is used sloppily. Look at the lockdowns. Look at the way that, you know, the, that force is being applied by the government on people. It's very clumsy. It doesn't make sense. It's not well thought out. It's not being exercised in a confident way. Yes, they feel more powerful than they ever have before. But at the same time, it doesn't seem like they understand how to wield it. And I do think that there was a lot of that that was true. I don't think that centralizing the power in and of itself and formalizing it just immediately fixes the problem. But I do think that um, I do think that the way power has the, the power of the less has increased is not directly in a bunch of changes to the Constitution. Right. We didn't get a constitutional amendment making the left the de facto mono party you know, the Democrats that affect a monoparty of the United States. That's not what happened. A bunch of informal institutions became completely captured and were able to exercise their power more obviously in public. You could say that's a form of formalization, but it, it really isn't in law, it, only only in the way that things are, are how how our culture is operating and feeling that kind of uh, that, that kind of uh, decentralized power being put onto society. Well, you could argue that civil rights laws actually are a kind of formalization in favor of the left. But no, actually, my, my problem, yes, with this uh, a very material view of power, effectively seeing this kind of, um, yes, brutalizing use of authority as some kind of administrative inefficiency, I really don't think that cuts it. It's, it's really fundamentally, it's about dogmas and ideology. If you formalized power and centralized it in the American context, the only thing that would happen is you'd get the USSR, basically. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's, there's something uh, quite um, very almost technocratic and wonkish about this view of power. I, I don't think that's really, that's more of an accidental property than what's going on, essentially, in my opinion. Well, Here, I think here's an image I wanted to share real quick. So uh, this one is from uh, the great Tim Dillon. He says over here, wait, what? So this is, I believe, in Los Angeles, this seat closed. And people have been commenting on how this piece of paper is actually much comfier to sit on than uh, this uh, netting that the uh, bench has. Well, I, I wanted to, uh, to, one, to pose kind of a question in terms of how do we think the institutions were captured? Because especially, or more so the corporations, because corporations are not inherently, you know, they're, they're really set up to make money and whatever makes them money. And I, I had a conversation about this yesterday on another uh, forum, but, you know, the way that I see it, uh, you know, corporations, they, they market things, right? And so they do that by selling something like a dream, an idea. They don't sell a product, they sell some kind of a vision. And um, so how, you know, it seems like to me that they moved from selling, um, you know, from selling a dream of like, if you buy this, you will feel this way. If you buy this, you'll be really cool. You'll be really hot, whatever that is, to if you buy this, you are not racist. If you buy this, you are, you know, uh, supporting diversity. And, and so it becomes that. So how did that transition happen? Because I really oh. With regards to oh. corporations, the answer is actually very simple. It's ultimately down to two things. Uh, first of all, you need to get rid of this entire historical materialist Marxist idea that the, the economy drives society, which is nonsense. Basically, on the one hand, you have civil rights and non-discrimination laws, affirmative action and all these other programs, which make it an actual like legal liability for corporations to go against like any kind of... Uh, 
you know, racial equalitarian see, view. Uh, for more info, see uh, Christopher Caldwell's Age of Enlightenment. Caldwell, I just want Caldwell, to throw that out. Caldwell's good, yeah. I, I haven't yeah, read Caldwell book. directly, but uh, I'm from other, like, sources. That's the one thing. And the other thing is, of course, uh, mass uh, immigration creating total demographic displacement. So when you get these two powers, you know, effectively le legal compulsion from civil rights plus uh, demographic annihilation, uh, the outcome is gonna is not surprising in the least. Uh, in, in well, but, but when you're talking about you know civil rights and things like that, uh, first of all, I mean, I, I would really separate a, a, the idea of affirmative action from uh, you know say equality of opportunity, which is quite a different thing. And like, don't discriminate, as in like you can't not hire someone based on their race or gender or sexual orientation. Well, but the thing, the thing about these statutes is the way they were implemented through like court cases in the 70s and 80s. What ended up happening is that uh, many of like the old labor unions in America, they worked on the basis of, senior, of seniority clauses, which uh, of course, given that men were the bulk of the workforce, these ended up de facto, uh, you know, you might say privileging men. Now, with about the 60s and 70s, when the entire like middle class feminist movement of Gloria Steinem, all these people begin to challenge these things in court. The Gloria ultimate CIA out Steinem, as uh, yeah, said, yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she's a spook. Uh, but the ultimate yeah. outcome was to effectively destroy the possibility of unions to, uh, you know, to restrict the labor supply and therefore push up wages. And you have many such cases, like basically. Uh, these civil rights laws, yeah, they acted as a kind of destabilizing force among the labor movement. Another example is that uh, before civil rights, you know, in various states, you had these uh, kind of uh, uh, restrictive labor statutes, like, for example, women were not allowed to work night shifts, they were not allowed to, like, carry heavy loads, you know, these, like, very obvious things you, uh, from a Perspective of wow, someone sexism who... sounded great for yeah, me yeah, back yeah, in the day. Biological, biological <laughs> sex is real, folks. Can you believe it? But but these things were abolished because of feminist activism. And ultimately, yeah, the, this, the, the civil rights movement uh, directly interferes with, uh, you know, what... The, I'm, I'm not into class politics at all. I regard it to be total nonsense, but in, in a way it objectively did, so... Yeah. So what you're saying is that this was a catch-22 then, where... Yeah, it absolutely even, was. Yeah. So even if originally the intentions were good, as far as there were bad things happening where you wouldn't allow certain people to, let's say, go into your hotel, your place of business, and in a way, I think a lot of that has fomented, you could say, an enemy class, for lack of a better uh, term. Uh, well, we, we've, the, we've went of, from, uh, yeah. you, couldn't, you, you couldn't go into a hotel to like your, your community is now entirely operated by Korean shopkeepers. That's basically what's happened See, in, in terms so, of like blacks. To me, it seems like one of the biggest things though that has changed is like, because there is still a leap between, okay, you can't discriminate against people for going into your, your shop or your hotel to uh, you have to hire this many people who are of this particular race, right? That's a big leap, and I think that's not a leap that uh, that's you know I, it seems like a fairly recent leap. But I think uh, also it's, an observation. It's it's not really a great leap at all. I mean, the two were basically co-determinate. I mean, the kinds of it it started all the way back in like the 
80s, like you had this like movement among uh, public employers. I forgot the exact name, but wait, which 80s? 1880s, 1980s? 1980s. Okay, yeah. uh, it, well, we're not sure with Carl's bad when it comes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but before uh, this question gets too far away from us, um, uh, not to disagree with that Carl's was a good bad. Joke, I, I must admit, that was I, I think a lot of. <laughs> I think there there's a lot of uh, of truth in some of the things he said there. So I'm not here to disagree with the, the points he made on, on that one. But to answer Catherine's original question was how how these corporations kind of got woke, right? Like how these corporations transitioned in this direction when then that wasn't their original um, intent. Uh, what does every person being hired by a major corporation need that they didn't need 30 years ago? Uh Hmm. what social, is every person to get no they you always need social capital. what do you need to get in the door to get a basic interview what's what's the oh, the, the basic qualifier are you talking about education system yeah you need a you need yeah. a university oh, degree okay. right and if you need it, every person who's going to go into a corporation especially if you're going to manage if you're going to be part of the professional managerial class what do you need more education additional education higher education probably in more elite universities who rises to the top in all of these companies? Who's the people who's, who are managing all of these departments? Well, they're all people who have spent a lot <laughs> amount of time. Sorry. I, I, yeah, it's, sorry. Well, the it's chat a, seems to think it's never mind. Never mind. That, but, as soon as you ask, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. You, I kind of I, agree with the direction you're going in, Oren. I, I actually, I've been thinking about this a lot because to me, regardless of where you sit on the political spectrum, and we probably sit in slightly opposing areas, but I think the 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 most important thing is for people to be able to challenge ideas, but think for themselves and not to be taught specific ideas. And I know because I know somebody's uh, close to me who's currently studying to be a teacher. Like there's there the the sort of ideologies a hundred percent at this point embedded right they're being taught very specific values as opposed to kind of thinking for themselves and maybe you know teaching empathy uh, as opposed to teaching this is what you should think and uh, and 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 you know not asking the questions and and you're right I think and I think I think the biggest thing is, and I know universities are a really, really big source of this, but so are high schools and probably even middle schools. And I think if you wanted to try and change what's going on right now, I think you really have to go to these uh, places first. Well, well, here's the rough thing. I think I think you're right. I think that is a big part of it. I, I think the, the but here's the thing. People are going to be taught what to think no matter what. Here's the truth. We never escape churches. Everybody goes to a church. Maybe your church is a university. Maybe your church is HBO. Maybe your church is a cathedral. But everybody gets their ideas from the people who are in power, the people who are above them, the people who have authority, the people who manage the traditions and knowledge of their culture. The reason that everybody is moving left, the reason that your corporations are going to work woke is they all went to the same church. They all went to university. And so they all use the values and ideas that they share in common. That's how humans work. That's how cultures really universities work. Universities work quite different. Like I know when I went to school, yes, I mean, being 
if if I wanted to be provocative, I did I did tell people certain things intentionally to be provocative, even though they weren't even necessarily true. And you know, people get a little bit upset, but you could still have that conversation, that discussion. You wouldn't be quote unquote canceled. Nowadays, it it has shifted so dramatically, and also inherently, when I went to high school. I don't remember being taught a lot of ideology per se. And now it's part, it's literally part of the curriculum. So how did that happen? But fish don't know they're wet, right? It doesn't feel like ideology because it's your, it's, (laughs) it it doesn't feel like ideology when it's your core belief system, right? It doesn't, it doesn't feel anybody who has traveled, anybody who has truly been in a different culture knows how desperately those things change, how, how different they can be. Uh, we have been told that there's this neutral marketplace of ideas, and that's what universities should be, that you go in and you have this discussion and the best ideas come out and they win and you think for yourself. That's not how people work. People absorb the ideas of those around them, the culture around them. Everybody knows this. Your mom told you when you were seven years old, right? Your friends matter, Right. The people around you matter. The things you watch on TV matter. And it sounds old and it sounds stuck in the, in, in the mud or, you know, it sounds obvious and something your grandma would say. Your grandma was right. Like those things shape who you are and what you believe. Nobody is really above this. We like to think we are, but we aren't. And the idea that we are is dangerous. And the idea that we can have this neutral space that's just not going to be influenced is never going to be real. And so the only thing that happens is when you pretend there's a neutral space, people fill the void. People come in and fill that void with ideology. And that's what we're feeling now is that the ideology that filled the void in these theoretically neutral institutions just feels more alien than it ever did before. But But wouldn't that also drive people, young people especially, towards a counterculture if they're seeing the overall dominant culture being one type? Wouldn't they then go to the opposite type? Again, I think this is largely a mistake of understanding how humans work. A lot of people will say things like, you hit hit middle school or you hit high school and you become rebellious. No, you don't. You become wildly conformist. You become wildly conformist. You just notice other hierarchies. You just start, stop living. So you're, only- you're conformist to your circle of hierarchies as opposed to the circle of hierarchies that would be, let's say, you know, the school and the principal and so on. You grew up with your family. When, yeah. when you spent most of your time with your family, when your brothers and sisters were your closest friends, when your parents were the ones that influenced you the most, that was your hierarchy. They're the people you please. The minute you get a little older, you start realizing that there are going to be people in your life outside of your family that are going to be just as important. You have to start caring about what girls or boys think. You have to start caring about care about what your friends and the people that hang around with think. And all of a sudden, this phenomenon we think of teenage rebellion is really teenagers just trying to figure out which hierarchy they're supposed to actually prioritize. So, they're trying to figure why out. Do you people have faith in the state religion, simple as. I mean, I really hate this kind of take that, you know, all 
people don't actually believe in wokeness. They're just signaling. Well, I was really, going to ask. I was going to ask. That really drives um, me nuts. They, they do yeah. believe it, of course. It's, of course, it's, this is the official state religion. Yeah, of it's, course, they, people yes, believe. They, they do, sure. Well, it, 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 it depends, uh, but it also depends on who and it depends on their uh, financial situation. Well, well no, For but example, this came no, up. Re real quick, real quick. I just wanted to bring up the example of the Jeez. people on the Upper <laughs> West Side of New York City when they had the homeless people who were encamped there, uh, thanks to Mayor de Blasio. Very quickly, all those rich people started suing the city because they, they say you know they yeah. may say one thing but at the end of the day they, they know farewell so again when you're talking about these they people put up who are those spikes on the on the yes, i was, yes, exactly. I was calling you out miss plotnik yes so but like when, say, when we're, yeah think different okay but for example me and you could go to the same school and still come out with different thoughts. And you could say, oh, it's because our families are different or our friends are different, but we might even have the same circle of friends. Like I think quite differently than a lot of the people that are in my circle. Do I ever conform to their opinions just to kind of fit in and not stir the pot? Yes, because it, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but, but do I think privately the way that I do? And uh, yes. Right. And, and, it, and I might have a very similar background to someone else and we might think completely differently about things. So I don't want to take completely the agency of the individual out of this and, and give it all over to like, you know, our, that community. No, it's it's not hard determinism, but it's understanding. Let, let me put it this way. How many people do you know who went to college and became more liberal than they used to be? A lot. Right. Like like a lot. Honestly, I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, my guess would be most people would describe that as their experience. How many people do you... <laughs> the the uh, before feminism, after feminism pictures? But, 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 I know that's kind of like 2015. Yeah. And you said but but, but how many ahead, people how many people go to college and come out more conservative? Mm. Zero? Well, right? maybe <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. I did. I mean, well, but that, but yeah. yeah, I can't say that. Let, let, let's, let's be honest and look at the people we know, right? Like it's, it's almost a one way street. Like it mm -hmm. happens. Right. But there's a, there's a particular movement and it's for a particular reason. It's because as, as Carl's bed pointed out, the, the state religion is what is being taught. It's what's being rewarded. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm old enough to where I went to college at a time before everything went super woke. So I was able to go into philosophy classes and argue my then more conservative beliefs than most people, but less conservative than they are today beliefs. And, and most people were happy to just have someone to disagree with just, just, you know, the professors were still kind of happy that someone would speak up and give the opposing view. So I, I didn't come up in this super woke, you know, nobody can say anything. You'll immediately get banned a university, but it's still very clear what everybody believed. It wasn't some kind of, it wasn't hard to figure out that 90% of my professors were Marxist or heading that direction, right? Like th this was not a difficult thing to figure out. Uh, it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, a, it wasn't very well hidden. It, there, there wasn't, it wasn't that the college was uh, some place of neutral discussion. It was very clearly pushing a particular ideology, even if it still allowed people to express views at that time that were different. Yeah, I, I think that that's always the distinction, though, is when it comes to the vast majority of people, there is sort of this line between sincerity and performative sincerity. But really, what's the difference at the end of the day? Because when it comes to having the, you know, uh, another spirit is come out. You guys have all the top tier positions. Like having the top tier positions 
in some ways entails a level of sincerity. And I think this is why um, I've said this for years now, people like Jordan Peterson, the, the, the uh, dark web people, they don't realize that censorship when it comes to university, um, it's not as clear cut as a case like um, who's the girl that's fairly close to where I live, Lindsay Shepard. It's not just like that. I mean, for everyone, Lindsay Shepard that gets overtly censored, uh, and this was the Waterloo University case. There is sort of Waterloo. That's where the vampires hang out. Yeah. 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 Well, oh God. Um, <laughs> you remember that video? Yeah. Um, but uh, there, for every one clear-cut case of overt censorship, there's more of the in informal selection pressures. I would say that contribute to this environment in the sense that when you cross over into the graduate level it's an act of searching for a very particular type of personality that will survive in academia. Someone who usually is, I guess you would say, I mean, if you wanted to use the meme term, like, you know, small souled bug man, blah, blah, blah. Someone who has a high level of deference and openness, but also a sort of a weak, a weak enough will to conform to a narrative and someone who is very apt at um, incredible amounts of specialization that has murdered the spirit of intertextual uh interdisciplinary um what would you call it holism within them so that's like this that's so censorship isn't very like of course you can have like and then google manipulates the results which is another thing too you could talk about where you could search like uh, censorship in university of course you're going to get articles debunking um that claim because it's very difficult to actually um have a clear cut example of yes, censorship is going on in this university. But what I wanted to ask um, you, Aaron, and also Carlsbad, would be this: uh, for a few years now, we've talked about um, people in these spheres. We talked about the realities and the intricacies of woke capital. Now, the response by bread to people that one person in particular, what's his name, uh, Jen, oh, Sean yeah. and Jen, that that ghoul. Um, <laughs> And this person, by the way, has tried to ruin people's lives. Uh, so uh, I don't use, well, I kind of do use the term ghoul too often. But so this person says that um, one of the, uh, uh, hmm, yes, one of the, uh, what, what did he say? Uh, I'm probably misgendering him because in, in BreadTube, the only way you could survive as a white male, heterosexual white male, is if you claim that you're non-binary. It's to not be one anymore, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, and again, another insight by the distributors. Um what did he say that a foible, that, well, a foible of the conservatives is that they claim that um, capitalism is driving social change when in reality, it's almost like this weird return to like 2012, Andrew Breitbart uh, politics is downstream from culture. And therefore corporations are opportunistically and cynically just trying to make a buck by like adopting. I mean, wokeness, I mean, people that like James Lindsay have run the term into the ground, yeah. but let's just say progressive ideology. But yes, Carlsbad, what, what did you say? Um, he said that uh, so social change was driving woke capital as opposed to woke capital driving social change. Yeah. And sorry, it was Wilfrid Laurier University in, in, in Waterloo, Ontario. Um, I almost applied there, by the way. But um, go, yeah, so what do you guys make of this claim, this retort that in actuality, like, you know, corporations just want to make money, man. And that all of this is just selective pressure. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, look at what happened. I mean, yesterday, what's the ice cream company? Um, ben and Jerry's. 
where they, they were uh <laughs> well you, you guys get into it yeah i mean I'm the curious. fact that mm-hmm. the fact that the corporations ever since at least the 90s have had like all these like uh socially responsible investing outfits that you know there are large contributions to various ngos and charities uh this pretty much uh, proves the point that no they're not like purely profit motivated they never have been like the whole trope of like uh, pure profit maximization that's a very simplifying assumption of neoclassical economics like real corporations you know they have mm. They have multiple ends, actually. They don't have. They don't have like a. Of course, in a way, profit is the you might say the final end. But in between that, you know, there's like multiple heterogeneous ones that like are practiced on the way to get there. So like they're not like purely pure profit maximizers, obviously. Yeah. But uh, what would you uh, uh, say to the counterpoint? that a lot of these, uh, let's say, people who are higher up, kind of like I was talking about the Upper West Side people, that there may be a case of lightly subverting the subverters or infiltrating them to such an extent that the, the, let's say, wildest elements could at least be controlled. Because I still think that there may be an incentive for people at the top to maintain some kind of peace. A good example would be, let's say, England in the beginning (laughs) of the 20th... But the bur- burgers. Yes. Well, let's say like uh, like England in the beginning of the 20th century, where there was a real threat of communism. So what did they do? A lot of them they ended up subverting, infiltrating a lot of these organizations, and they were uh, you know they had to create a lot of these social programs, a lot of these labor unions to make sure that England wouldn't fall to communism. So the people in the top, at the very top had to get involved with uh, that kind of subversion. So the question here is, how much of what we're seeing right now is just some people going with the flow, making sure that a lot of these, let's say, very extreme things would be managed and would be controlled? Uh, and well, not to say that there aren't true believers among people within those higher ranks as well, but I still think that there are practical people out there who say, you know what, at least we can control this, at least we can uh, maneuver this in such a direction as it's going to cause the least amount of harm. Well, For example, I'll, I'll just give you one quick example, and then I'm going to let you uh, uh, go for it. The example, I guess, would be when you look at David Hogg and Emma Gonzalez and that whole gun thing, uh, that whole uh, protest. Because to me, and I could be wrong, but the, uh, what, that, what that actors, signifies, yeah. yes, but what that signified to me was almost like the elite saying, you know what, let's put on a show for the baby. Hey, baby, here's your rattle. And then the baby calms down where the protest would be the rattling for the baby. Like, I don't know, would this uh, be a correct take on that or no? I don't give a damn what actors are doing and I don't know. But, no, uh, I'm not talking about actors. I'm not talking about actors. I'm specifically talking about organizing well, an anti-gun, on YouTube, organizing you know. an anti-gun <laughs> protest that at the end of the day didn't really accomplish anything. That's what I mean by shaking the rattle for the baby like here i'm shaking the rattle it's like oh we're gonna have all these changes and we're gonna get rid of all the guns all this all this beautiful all these beautiful visuals nothing happens at the end of the day so to me Uh, that's that signifies that there may be people with common sense that can subvert movements control them in such a way as to give baby his bottle so that the baby calms down and then move on with life well, there's there's no evidence this is actually happening. On the contrary, we only see like further and further like radicalization and uh, pretty much the entrenchment of the of the desired social ends of the left. Like, you're trying to say like maybe there's something like uh, you know the or yeah, like, like Nancy the, Pelosi wearing the African suit. You know, like oh, like the, the oh, pandering. but that's just, 
that that's 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 not pandering like she doesn't believe it but you, you think she doesn't you're talking like the kind of like british new liber new liberalism of like the early 20th century where it's like yeah to like <laughs> yeah. create this like uh co-optation of like social democracy you know in a way to yeah, like co-opting uh, that's the right well, word not it's, and it's fabian and it's very from a welfare capitalism position. against the yeah, communism yes. Uh, there's no evidence this is happening. Rather, what I, w the way I would describe what's going on is like, you know, in the same way that, you know, some Christians, you know, they're very devout. They, uh, some Catholics, they attend mass every day. They, uh, they practice frequent communion. They pray novenas. They have all sorts of devotions and others are lapsed. You know, they only, they only go just they only fulfill their sunday obligation they're, they're three if, timing yeah if, it's like if, when they if, confirmed if, married and then die that's if, when they go to the but, church but there's but they're still but they're still catholic they're still they're yeah. still in a sense on board like they're not uh they're not outside of it they're not really uh they're not co they're not coping at all because they're not even like really participating and they're rather passive in this whole thing it's not for them to be like co-opting it to, to try like steer it in a more moderate direction you know, they'd be like, you know, grasping the netto, but that's not what they're doing yeah, at then, all. They're, they're passively still, reacting. But then AOC would still be at the fence. AOC would still be crying at the fence and she's not doing that anymore. So to me, that means that there is a good level of cynicism going on with a lot of these people where they just want to be in charge. No, and no, because, things. yeah, but she can cry at the fence, but now she doesn't need to because ostensibly... I hate to say this. I mean, it's such a black pill for if you're someone on the right, but demographically, America is fucked. I mean, come on, let's face it. Wait, are, are you talking about? Are, gonna... are you talking about the whole like cages thing here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. oh. I mean, no. Obviously, obviously, like, uh, no. This isn't really opportunism at all. Like, people, people are going to have uh, double standards against their political enemies. That's or, or here's natural. an example like, with Cuomo. That, that doesn't. Now nobody's that doesn't, talking about uh, Cuomo anymore, right? Like Cuomo's kind of, uh, you know, there was this big brouhaha about, oh, uh, look at how horrible Cuomo is. Now everybody shut up about him because some bills ended up passing that they wanted to pass. So it was a purely political thing. Now it's gone. Now everybody moves on. So I don't see a lot of true believers here. I see I political mean, opportunists much more than true believers. No, but they, but like, Cuomo, they are true believers to the extent no, but that they. Like, the Cuomo, Cuomo during the first like year no like he was a celebrity like people were yeah. despite they, they uh, said he saved lives yeah. despite <laughs> despite new york being the disaster with sending all of the uh you know hospital patients into nursing homes like seeding all of these nursing homes and uh, uh killing all these like invasive ventilations that ended up uh killing uh people gratuitously he was praised as being like you know some kind of amazing leader and yeah then they turned against him but like but th th wasn't there like a me too thing going on oh where he grabbed yeah but that's just what yeah, us but, italians but now, do but now I mean, it's all yeah but now it's all that's gone not, that that's what i'm no, getting but, at i'm sure no you could but say, no but the me too thing that that's all burned out you could say that people are tired fine but i'm sorry when i look at nancy pelosi with that little african hat on i don't take it seriously i just it, the whole no, but, thing but, just looks but like Lev, a farce. The, the point they're trying to make but, is that you don't take it seriously most sane people don't but, but i don't the think right she people, takes it seriously i don't the think fact, she takes it seriously. the fact that she has to signal it at all exactly that is yeah the correct. fact that she has yeah. to even do it at all like, well, that's the that's the uh, baby uh, bottling or whatever you want to call it. That's the uh, but, rattle shaking that I'm but describing let, let's here. Go, let's go. Let's go to Catherine, then Warren. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just have a question. Do you think that the number of 
insane people is as big as it might appear. Uh, you mean? Uh, oh, you mean like? No, I, I, I haven't like looked at statistics directly, but from what I know, like mental health is like deteriorating rapidly, which you know is a big, big fucking surprise, right? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. and also, but people also report mental health higher. But I'm just what I'm talking about. Not that, not that kind of sanity. I'm talking about, you know, um, ideological excesses. You mean? Yeah, yeah, where people are like. Because when I started to speak more openly with people, what I realized most people are a lot more moderate and reasonable than it might appear. But we might have this wrong impression in our society that people are this extreme when it might in fact just be a minority that we're kind of terrified of. Well, no, I mean, uh, when you interact with people on like a personal one-on-one -on -one basis, they're always going to be more moderate than when you interact like on a political basis. Like, the, you know, the... There's a, you know, like with a private interaction, H having private enemies is one thing and having political enemies is quite another. Quite another these, are, yeah. these, are two, these are two different things. I can even give an example with, let's say, uh, younger people. We had a Calth Respector, you know, the great Remus Calth Respector on, many times great friend of the show. He's going to be back for the art stream, by the way, with zero HP Lovecraft. I just want to promote that real quick. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Left Stream. But anyway, he was saying how when he went into VR chat and he put on a uh, ferret costume, you know, they have the VR avatar, so he was like a little ferret guy. And he mentioned how it's easier for people to speak with like little helpless looking animals. Uh, than like you know big avatars but anyway he he, he said that the uh, information that he got from a lot of like these zoomers is that when they're publicly on twitter they have to have a certain kind of persona certain kind of ideas in order to not be castigated by the uh, rest of the group and it's not the same when they're actually speaking, like you said, face-to-face. Uh, -face. And I think that there is a lot of fear, that that peer pressure that drives a lot of this stuff. And the question is, like, how do we, how do we break it? Is it possible to break something uh, that strong with young people? Everybody has the hashtags. Everybody has the pronouns. It's just, you know, it, is, it seems very militaristic. It I seems think social media allows the mob mentality to ruin rule the, the day much more and I think maybe that is why we're seeing some of these things like I, I didn't used to blame social media but the more I think about it the more I think that's a really big part of it is because we're speaking in mobs there's pylons as I mentioned to you love um, I mean these things just do not you know don't just happen like that right uh, without without that platform and I think that might have been something that quite strongly influenced the culture that we're in right now. I mean, yeah, because if you go back to the old 19th century liberal idea of the public sphere, I mean, it was a fairly like exclusive and elitist one, like basically it encompassed, uh, you know, being, being a journalist or like a writer in those days, you know, like there was an actual like barrier to entry, like in terms of like literacy, leisure time and all sorts of things. Uh, social media, if it's like completely leveling, unfettered, equalized mass communication on a completely planetary scale. It obliterates any kind of a boundary whatsoever. It liquefies it. So uh, this, yeah, this ends up creating the whole chaos in action. Uh, yeah, it is a big part of it. Although, 
I mean, honestly, we should probably go back to like 80s era computing, you know, have like a bunch of Unix mainframes <laughs> and use, use Usenet and that kind of thing. You yeah. have to have it, extra chromosomes eternal, to be on in the internet. Eternal, se- eternal September, man, it was a big mistake, you know. But uh, but uh, Aaron, uh, what, what is your assessment to like this retort that a lot of these people, like, for example, on, on YouTube, a lot of the like, early alt-right people got totally destroyed and, and deplatformed. And I'm actually surprised that some of the alt-right people are still on, but they got taken out. But as, as much as on the show, like I've criticized the alt-right uh, is one thing you could say is that, yes, it was an organic sort of upsurge or movement, but at the same time you have bread tube rolling in people like uh, Sean and Jen, that did you say bread tube like, rolling like a bread roll anyway go yeah on. like a bread roll but um bread tube rolling uh uh keep keep rolling 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 um um you have people that are getting profiles in the new york times saying that they're de-radicalizing people and so it's a totally different thing and they'll probably never get banned un- until like certain strategic things start happening so you have people like that they're sort of hand waving this saying that it's it's just corporations acting for profit margins and you know <laughs> politics is downstream from culture so what would you say to those people or oran um yeah what was what your take on this conversation uh, in general i think carlsbad was was largely right uh, you have uh, who cares right like who cares what their genuine motives are by simply having to capitulate to the ideology you know what one right you know what actually governs the conversation there's a reason that uh bread tube can make a thousand videos claiming whatever they want and they'll never have to worry about being demonetized or banned it's because power agrees with them they agree yeah. with power uh they, i'm sure they don't see themselves that way but it's very simple the people who are being panned are the ones that power disagrees with you don't have to be a rocket surgeon to figure that out and so i think that um i, I think that it's very clear that whether uh, you know, more cynical politicians are using the trappings of social justice or more cynical CEOs are doing it in order to further their, uh, the, the, you know, their individual power or their ability to make money. Sure, great. But that's true of any culture, right? That's true of any religious belief. That's true of any set of values. People are always going to want power inside those systems. And they're always going to use uh, you know, whatever the predominant prevailing uh, ideology is to move that forward. Uh, that doesn't mean that those systems aren't the ones that are in power. In fact, that probably means they're they are. If those corporations have to kowtow to that, if they have to signal in that direction, if those politicians have to play those games, then it's very clear who holds the power. Nobody is kowtowing to the Christian right anymore, <laughs> right? Like who does that? Even the even even the GOP. Yeah. Oh uh, God. Spends, God spends more Come time, on. you know, kowtowing to basically everyone but the Christian right. You know. Well, they're getting rid of all the Trump people, and I mean, look oh, what yeah. happened with Arkansas. I mean, even the fact that we're talking about trans children now, and and how it's like it, it's a signaling thing. Well, I mean, well, does does the Christian yeah. right even even exist in any real sense? I mean, like, no, so, no, like that's the, a fair the, point. Yeah. The, southern, the southern, the ba- southern, the southern Baptists—they cucked a few years ago. Like, remember, like they, uh, you know, well, denounced. They got, uh, yeah, yeah. They, well, they, I keep seeing those TikTok videos with the dancing preachers and the rainbow uh, attire. I think people—they—that was another thing. People say that they got culturally dominated and they got, you know, um, they got placed out of the market. But I think what uh, another overlooked aspect, and this is something that 
is probably someone who's written about probably paleocons. I think Pat Buchanan sort of alluded to this is that when you look at the religious right and how they fell, you could really see that. Yes. In the eighties, it became a meme because you had like, I don't know, you had like Tipper Gore uh, reading Slayer lyrics on the, on the Capitol floor. Right. But at the <laughs> and then like later Marilyn Manson coming in and, uh, but uh, so tipper Gore, just tipper, the tipper Gore. Yeah, but that wasn't tipper that wasn't Gore. that wasn't the Christian right even. <laughs> no, right, you're was... talking about the Democrats. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, the wife sorry. of the vice president of Bill yeah. Clinton. Yes, that stalwart GOP <laughs> conservative. You no, know, but uh, sorry, I'm thinking of the commission where they got uh, D D Snyder from from uh, Twisted not, Sister yeah, from yeah, Twisted yeah. Sister, and he was like had the crumpled up paper. Remember, all- John Denver was the star witness in that. Anyway, oh yes, um, that's yeah. John Denver. Yeah. That's so, uh, so. Here's the thing to remember about this. So, as much as we like to make fun of these things, and they right. do feel cartoonish because they've been made to feel cartoonish, right? Uh, every one of these people was right. 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 Uh, yeah, the slippery, yeah, the slippery, absolutely. The slippery yeah. slope no, my has point... a thousand percent win percentage on yes. this, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I mean, yo, yo, McCarthy <laughs> was correct. It the government was full of communists. Hollywood was full but of communists. But it's when McCarthy right? went if... after certain people in the higher, the military establishment, and so forth. Man, if, if like... giving up heavy metal would get rid of wokeness, I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh I, no. I, yeah. I love yeah. my Iron Maiden, man. I've got all the records. Oh, but, no. But, Iron Maiden ain't worth it, man. Ain't worth but, it. But uh, they're not worth the collapse of civilization. No, no, no. Well, no. I, I truly okay. believe that uh, new metal uh, new metal revival will solve a lot of this. But, um, Are you kidding? Uh, oh, what, what oh, okay. Would there be something? I'm sorry. I have idea? to leave now. My bad. No. Oh, no. There- <laughs> no, but I had a point about this. Sorry, Lev, to cut you off. My point no, was that. Um, when you look at the religious right, a lot a thing that's overlooked, but some people kind of allude to, like Pat Buchanan. My thesis is that they did it to themselves to the extent that in the eighties, the conservatives had a choice you had. Um, now I, I think like people like uh, my good friend, Paul talk who insulted me recently because of my, again, because I said that I like Anselm Kiefer, but he said like people blame Strauss and they say that he's a neocon and all that stuff. What I think is that um, when it came in the eighties, you had predominantly neoliberalism and neoconservatism which was embodied by Ronald Reagan. And to an extent, people like, I mean, they look at, you know, Jordan, anything that Jordan Peterson says, go and read Closing of the American Mind. Ronald Reagan had it on his nightstand. Uh, Alan Bloom, who was a Straussian, but he was a left Straussian. He wasn't like Jaffa. He certainly wasn't like Vo- Vogelin. So, um, yeah, he was East know, Coast, I think. Yes, he was the East Coast Straussians. So Alan Bloom, closing the American mind, he said, well, it's all because of Nietzsche, it's because of perspectivism, it's because of these lefties, blah, 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 all that bullshit. So what happened was in the 80s, the conservative movement had a choice. It had uh, the paleocons, which is somewhat kind of like a little bit racialized, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, Vogelin, Godfried, Pat Buchanan. Uh, so they had that or they had you know, protectionism and uh, nationalism on one side, and you had like neoliberalism. Now, the reason that the evangelicals got into this, in my opinion, and, you know, this comes from an unlikely source. This comes from Jim Backer. Okay, Jim Backer, when he got out of prison, he wrote this book about it, about the prosperity gospel. And what happened was a lot of the evangelicals, they capitulated to prosperity gospel where they thought that um, rootless capitalism was going to deliver them to Zion. And so therefore they basically forfeited their social clout in favor of economic and market clout 
and then you have these mega churches and then eventually you have Joel Osteen and TD Jakes and so my thesis is that pr- the prosperity gospel capitalism basically spit roasted the evangelicals I mean the, of, the, yeah. it was based on a kind of a theological understanding of Bolshevism as the ultimate godlessness which yes. wasn't was, it wasn't wrong you know but by the 70s and 80s yeah. it was kind of a pastiche almost yeah, because exactly. uh, yes. anyone any like anyone who honestly viewed it like Sovietology in those days Days, uh, would have concluded that the regime was massively stagnating. Although the thing is, though, that uh, one very interesting aspect of the Cold War was the way that the United States uh, consistently overestimated the performance of the Soviet economy. And <laughs> yeah. no, no, but this had like a this like benefited both sides. It benefited the left because, oh, you see, economic planning works great. We, you know, we, we need more uh, state control. And it also benefits, you know, like the Pentagon, like the whole like uh, hawkish interventionist side, you see, because, oh, uh, the Soviet juggernaut is gonna, you know, it's mass they mobilizing. Got, got rockets we in need, space. You know, we, we gotta we gotta catch up and do the same here. We need more mass mobilization. We need more like a spending on uh, like a, a dumb military blueprint so that will never actually be built. You know, stuff like that. And we honor the brave soldiers in Afghanistan and the yeah, Mujahideen. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah Rambo is yeah. gonna go and help the Mujahideen. So yeah. as far as, far as uh, something like liberalism goes, since I see a lot of besmirching of liberalism within a more reactionary thought. My question to you, gentlemen and ladies, is do you think that uh, it needs to be, that you need to throw out the baby with the bathwater in this case? Because like we were talking about before with these various uh, civil rights movements, they did much more than what people uh, wanted them to do as far as adding all these extra things in. Would it not be possible to retain the baby and not throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to liberalism, when it comes to just like uh, meritocracy, having the uh, best uh, people come in and uh, do something and not exclude people based on where they came from? You know, is that is that not a possibility? And the second thing that I would also add in there is, do you agree that we do move through certain eras where in the 1920s, for example, a lot of women dropped out of, uh, you know, polite society? You could say they started boozing it up. They started going to the jazz clubs and uh, you could see a similar thing going on in the uh, late 60s. But then we had the 30s where it calmed down and then we had the 80s where it also calmed down. So do we not see like certain wave patterns happening here? And can we perhaps say that this is a swinging the pendulum right now to an extreme end and it's going to calm down? Uh, I think the swing of the pendulum is a bit of a, uh, an illusion. I think we've moved steadily to the left, uh, always slowly. Often the ratchet will stop and it will feel more conservative for a while. Uh, but every time the ratchet gets re- reapplied, we don't go further right. We go further left. Uh, I think that that process is going to continue uh, probably until something breaks pretty fundamentally. I don't think that most of the people, including myself, I'm as victim into this as, as much as anybody else who grew up in a liberal society can completely divorce themselves from the ethos. I, I don't know if we're really able to completely escape it. I think until the system and the ideas that undergird it prove to be completely unmanageable and collapse, I don't think people will really be able to abandon it. They might well, be able to... Talking about it, oh, sorry, go on. They, they might be able to... Uh, stop some of its excesses for a time, 
to extend the lifetime of the system, but I don't think they'll really ever abandon the system until it falls apart. Um, well, when you're talking about abandoning the system, are you talking about abandoning principles of liberalism? Because would it mean that the only way forward would be to reinstitute all of these things that, uh, you know, kept somebody who otherwise would have wanted to contribute to some, uh, you know, s some group of people, you know, like what is what you're saying that the, that kind of stuff would also have to go the way of the dodo uh, and there's no way to actually retain a lot of the good things. Well, I guess you could say, well, what defines good? Well, a lot of the things yeah. that let's say would make sure that there would be more of a meritocracy and uh, people would oh, not but, be excluded. But Oren has whole videos about this concept of meritocracy. I, I do, yeah. yeah. I have, I do have videos discussing whether or not meritocracy is in itself actually good. And um, and I think that's the thing. Like I said, I e again, even as I say that, it pains me, right? Like, even as I say that, uh, something about me goes, no, of course it is. Like, it's the core of, of who we are. It's, it's what we are. It's, it's the image blah, blah, blah. of thought. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I don't know if we can ever escape that until the patterns prove themselves to just not be, to, to not able to operate anymore. I think we're going to follow, I think we're going to follow this one right off the cliff. Uh, I know that doesn't, that's not a very helpful no, so thing. So what, you, what you're yeah. saying then is that it is an axiom that with liberalism, all of this other stuff that we don't really like, uh, and I understand that you have your things against meritocracy, but just like in general, like really simply, all these things that we don't like with the smoke culture, whatever you want to call it, what you're saying is that it's always going to be an outgrowth of liberalism and there's nothing that could be done about that. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. Well, so so this is always the go back to the 90s thing, right? Like if we could just dial liberalism back, if we can just dial it back it's right and bill maher uh why can't we just talk to each other which like, is funny because these are always the people who are making fun of conservatives for wanting going back to the 50s right like yeah. they have exactly the same plan to fix society they just want to reboot from a slightly later save right and so why can't um, i tell sex jokes anymore <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly and, and so can we keep these good things about liberalism i don't know i don't know that many of the things that are the fruits of liberalism can survive without a system that is moving that direction i think that inevitably most of the things that you think that are good about liberalism will push things ultimately in the direction that we're going um do i think that we can make some significant changes to turn that around honestly i i don't think that as our society stands right now i don't think most people are, are capable of that i don't think it will i think that we will just probably continue along that path until enough people see the the, the consequences as being too costly. But I think also another point would be when we talk about woke capital, the intricacies and the sort of the excesses and the uh, externalities that happen when you wed um, certain, a certain ideological image of thought, a certain, which is a uh, image of thought being the way you think about how thinking is done. So the way you even think about something, as Deleuze said, is the way that you are structured by the assumption. So he used the example in Plato, it's just a given that the form of the good is the ultimate form. Why is the good the form of the good, right? So it's, why is that at the capstone? So the way to think about this when you sort of wed a certain degree of liberal progressive ideology, and I do say liberal because let's face it, everyone's a radical liberal now. There's the Marxist professor, he's a radical liberal. So when you wed it to the engine of capital, what you're saying is that you're wedding it to the sort of the formalities of the way market incentives work and also the way that capitalism has unique ability to take up what is 
by necessity or by nature, something that is driven from a lot of different factors that have happened in society up until now. So we've structured the economy in such a way because it quote unquote works. Because why? Because market structures all the way back to, you know, Smith, Ricardo and so forth sets up because of these joint stock corporations, blah, blah, blah. You all get this, right? So the free, the free market, whatever it's, it's not really free, but we call why it do you, that. Why do you call we're, it? We're walking a, into a, acceleration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But why, so, but why do you call it a, a liberal? Like when you say radical liberal, what exactly? And I know this is like some Bill Maher shit, but still, yeah, yeah. why? No, this is a, for this, like is that? A, this is a good point, actually. Uh, not geo finish now. Well, what I was going to say is that when, well, radical liberalism, because it's predicated <laughs> on, I know, I know, I'm terrible. Um, it's predicated on the assumption that autonomy at all costs must be delivered to the maximum amount of people. Now, good, so again, this is John Stuart Mill, the maximum amount of good for the maximum amount of people. What is defined as good is happiness. What is defined as happiness? It's defined as the satiation of base pleasures and other sort of market demands. How is it a market demand? Well, we've just created artificial demands, but that doesn't matter because in the end, it's like what Nietzsche said about rationality. When you take affect, when you take a concept that claims to be rational, in reality, all rationalization comes later. Rationality is a, a, a sort of not an a priori thing. It's definitely something that comes after the fact. But over time, Nietzsche said, rationality gets embedded into the concept anyways. So people can't tell the difference between what is, you know, before everything, what is reason and what is a rationalization of something. So they say, well, this is just the natural conclusion of things. That's a rationalization. But what I'm saying is that when you wed wokeness, or I mean, I hate the fucking term because of James Lindsay, when you wed progressive liberalism, <laughs> when you wed it to, um, <laughs> when you wed it to the engine of capitalism, you really can't pull the brakes on it because what you're doing is that you are crafting the human subject in such a way that is advantageous to modern capitalism. This was a great thread today by my good friend Yerk, who we should have on the show really soon. And I said, this is kind of like Heideggerian and framing, meaning that he says a lot, like the James Lindsay people, they got this wrong. They think that it's like something that comes after the fact and it's like wokeness comes after the fact and then capitalism adopts to it. And and what happens is it, it's a way of um, like, it tears people apart because we used to be a unified society then it tore people apart. No, it's the opposite. What happens is intersectionality, wokeness, whatever you want to call it, it's a way of strategically aligning disparate groups together within a marketplace. It's a way of forming the human subject in such a way that you have a maximum amount of consumption. And so, for example, trans identity is a good one. He, and he points to this in his thread where he says that the whole thing is that you have these groups working together now and they're, they're sort of forming subjectivity around like total rootlessness, total freedom, total atomization. I create my own self. Now, how do you create your, my, your own self? You have to consume. You have to consume your identity. You have to buy these products. You have to buy the Funko Pop. And by buying the Funko Pop, you've affirmed your identity. You've bought the trans Funko Pop. So in, in, in so many words, when you implode those like ancient roots of someone as a self, uh, religion, family, nationality, ra I mean, yes, race, ethnicity what happens is you're creating like this moldy putty that you can sort of shape and so woke capital operates that way it's wedding progressive liberalism 
to capitalism because now everyone becomes like this like same NPC individual, this like cookie cutter character when you have like, I don't know, some fighting game mm. where it's like you're cre- you create a custom character. So that that's why James Lindsay and all those people, they got it wrong because they, they it's not about pulling people together. It's about bringing everyone into this like homogenous whole that is like a someone without history. And that's a big thing too. When you obliterate historical consciousness from people, then you can fill them with whatever mythology you want. It's like, what did the, what did the enlightenment, yeah. li- what did the enlightenment liberals do? They're like, well, the state of nature was what we said the state of nature was. And so therefore from that notion of history, you get like human rights and social contract and all that bullshit. I mean, so sorry, I'm ranting right now, but I, I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, queen, yes, queen slay. That's, yeah, that's all I got to say point. about that. An important, then, oh, sorry. Go, 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 go ahead. Orin, go ahead. Uh, an important part of that pro- process issue you're talking about geo is also understanding that uh, one of the things that is great about uh, progressivism is it destroys the natural community and natural family structures, which then capital gets to sell back to you, right? Yes. At, 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 yeah. at nine ninety. You've explained ahead. what I've fucking convolutedly accelerationist my way towards. Yes. <laughs> I know where so, you're going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's it, yo. Well, you don't have a community to to talk to anymore. Well, there's a therapist who you can pay to yeah. you know to, to 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 tell your sins to. You know there. There are all these different service providers who will give you all the things that you've lost in the right. disassemblement of your identity yeah. and the dissolution of your culture. And so that, yeah, that also feeds exactly yeah. this machine. So, so Yerk is saying, um, James Lindsay thinks Paul is all about the valorization of subjectivity, which is bad, over objectivity, which is good. It's much, so again, this is like the Jordan Peterson what, what, you know, oh, sorry, Ben Shapiro, facts don't care about your feelings. We have to get back to real politique. Um, it's much worse than that. It's the systematic conversion of subjectivities into objective, building blocks for social engineering projects. So these, these liberals like James Lindsay, like Ben Shapiro, when they tell you that, oh, they want to basically get rid of facts, they want to get rid of science, they want to get rid of, uh, I don't know, whatever bullshit they think the free market is. They're like, oh, they're, it's all about feelings and subjectivity, which is a bad thing because it's postmodernist, it's perspective, it's Nietzsche, it's bad. Jordan Peterson, Nietzsche is bad because it led to postmodernism. When in actuality, no, you're, you are affirming an even more concrete picture of a very market-driven subject. You are affirming a concrete reality. And that's where James Lindsay and all those people get it wrong. Because you're basically turning people into objects. This is Heideggerian framing. You're turning the whole, you're conquering nature to such an extent that now the human self is another object to be bought and sold among many. Now, now your pleasures itself and again, if this conservatives, they don't want to read Marcuse. And I, yes, Marcuse, when he gets to like Eros and civilization, he kind of goes off the rails and he becomes whatever. But what happens is you are buying into a concrete version of the self. You are consuming that identity, but it's a very like it's um now the pleasures that you seek, that is also a concrete property to buy into. Like, like when you buy into like a certain, I don't know, an OnlyFans that dresses up like a uh, Nala or whatever. I don't know. Um, <laughs> what's the character from, uh, what's the love interest from, from uh, Naruto? What, what's her name? Sakura. Sakura. Yeah. Yeah. Sakura. So <laughs> when an OnlyFans girl uh, dresses like Sakura and I, I don't know, uh, 
it does like feet asthma or something. It's like, that is a pleasure that is create, you know, it's bought and sold to you by the market, but then you form your identity around. Yes. I have to cosplay as Sakura and I have, I have this particular foot fetish. So it's, I know that's a ridiculous example, but you're turning people into objects essentially, which is ironic for these, you know, woke people that talk about object objectivization and, and, you know, other people, women, especially yeah yeah. love to objectify themselves and then like scream like stop objectifying me right but speaking of uh, dressing up a sakura oh my god (laughs) is sakura Sakura the one with the pink hair yes it is yeah yeah oh do they get together is it sort of like an ash and what's your name misty misty yeah yeah i think it's a similar kind of thing does uh, ash end up with misty no, he gets girl new girls every season. That's oh, how. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. No, and he kind Naruto, of like just discards them. Yes, Naruto exactly. Like throws them in the trash. He gets he gets he gets uh he gets Charizard to uh, do his thing. Here is here is Cartiste. Yeah, here is Chateau Artiste. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> well, someone um uh monetizing leftism in the chat. Yes. He said that. Um, he said something very interesting about NRX. There, there may be a left cultural momentum because culture production is cheaper, more available yeah. to plebs. But since Thatcher Reagan, the economic political center has shifted hugely to the right. What do you think of that? Wait, Naruto found, wound up with her fat friend? Yeah. Oh, he had a fat friend? <laughs> yeah, he had this fat friend. She always had like, a crush on him. I don't, I don't What's know your name? name. I don't know. I have to look this up. Oh, oh my god. Gio, you don't even Naruto. watch anime. You have to watch JoJo. Oh my god. And everybody subscribe. All the people who are watching us subscribe. And by the way, now that I have a few moments to speak here, I just wanted to show my new love card. So here it is. This is my new... Oh, hold on. I actually... Uh, here. This is my new love card. It is called Peer Reminder. I just put it on Super Rare right now. It is currently in the auction stage. I, here we go. Okay, so you could see it uh, being animated over here. This is what it looks like. I'm going to put a higher res version into the chat as well so you can take a look at it. But anyway, peer reminder, go get it. Invest in love. Hashtag invest, invest in, in love. love. Invest in love. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out there. New left card. Go for it. Anyway, uh, one, one thing that I wanted to bring up here, which I think is also uh, important, is when it comes to these uh, people who, like, uh, let's say, Catherine, for instance, by the way, she unfortunately had to go right now, but she had a great time, and she's really thankful for uh, doing this. Uh, But people who are in Catherine's position who are, you know, more leaning on the side of uh, being liberal, but uh, have had kind of enough of a lot of this stuff, where do you perceive there to be some kind of a boiling point? Some kind of a point at which, you know what, I can't take this anymore for the majority of people. Or would you say that people are so pliable, it's not going to take long to create like a uh, what was it the Eloy and the Morlocks you know from the time machine type of situation I don't know uh, I would not expect some kind of mass woke awakening to the ridiculousness of this or the you know the the average person uh, I think the average person is going to move in the direction specifically because of how I think that ideas work I think the average person is going to continue to move with power I think they're going to continue to hold the ideas that are going to allow them to function the best in society and have the most advantages I think that they're going to continue to move along this there is I think a breaking point uh for for progressivism where it just uh loses the the battle of reality i think there is a point at which that trying to run society in a completely unnatural way 
uh, and denying uh, basic realities about humans for so long eventually has a cost. But I think that will come from the function of society rather than like the average person waking up and being like, oh, yeah, this is all wrong. And I'm going to abandon this and, and but return people are already to making decisions about moving to different places. So people are moving away from, let's say, Chicago, moving more towards in the woods. And that oh, would yeah. be Elon, with Elon Musk. Well, OK, I, I got to look at those stats. But at least I know the people that I've talked to in New York, you know, people are moving out of New York City. People are going more into not even the suburbs, but sometimes more of the countryside. And with yeah, Elon, and they'll end up ruining the countryside. Exactly. exactly. What happened oh, to yeah. every what happens to every one of those states that is currently being being flooded with blue voters they become purple and then they become blue right they don't the people who move there don't become more conservative they shift the community to the left this is the same process we were talking about with liberals who get pushed out of the liberal the progressive coalition and then become conservatives they drive the conservative coalition to the center and allow the left to become more crazy it doesn't work the other mm. direction then then you start to uh embrace the red brown alliance and then uh you start to view uh, uh certain uh certain bimbos with a certain affection as i do so that's a... is there ever has there ever even been a successful red brown alliance i mean i guess kind of in the 20s you had a brief moment when yeah, the french a little bit when the french were occupying the ruhr you know you had the kind of a national bolshevik like actually you had the uh yeah the communist party of germany like under karl radek was actually explicitly in 1923 like adopted like a nasbol line to like and try get to get the uh folkish nationalist types to become commies but yeah, it's strausser strausser no no this no this was, this was this was this was way before strausser, yeah, it was before strausser yeah. but uh it imploded in about a year because you know uh, the the red yeah the red brown alliance could be a thing we just have to have the free corps like doming people on the streets that's what the fry the fry corps, yeah, the the fry corps yeah. speaking so, of uh french german relations this is the prussian is... serve oh god this is one of my favorites. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. I'll sell such Lorraine, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, they lost. Yeah, I mean, they, they got their asses handed. I mean, like in 1871, you know, like Bismarck was a real, you know, beast. Well, when say, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Oren, when you were saying war with reality, can you paint us a picture of what exactly that uh, may uh, look like as far as decisions people make? I understand the, the most enemies people are not of reality. Yeah. I understand most people are not going to see the light, but when it still comes to people who realize that things are going in the crazy direction, do you may maybe do you see some kind of more decentralized communities sprouting up that are actually made up of people who have enough money, let's say, who may come from a higher echelon of power that are also sick of it, that may be able to provide for these people. And maybe, I mean, this is kind of my hope. I don't know if this is exactly what's going to happen. But when I take a look at a lot of these bureaucrats, you know, like, uh, mayor lightfoot or whatever they look like the most unremarkable people in the universe you know what i mean like their aura is just pure unremarkability there is nothing about them that exudes anything uh interesting and my my hope is that a lot of the systems that they put in place will just collapse from just uh you know j j just just from dying off like uh you know like some kind of a uh you know, part of the body that hasn't been exposed to air, you know, just like shriveling away. Now that may not be what's going like to happen. Like the vestigial eyes of the, the, the cave yeah. lizard. Yeah. But it's like, they, they don't have any, they're soulless. They don't have any 
They're small sold bugmen. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I don't really see them building anything, and as a result, kind of like what Moldbug talked before about uh, how he thinks that leftism. I don't know if this is his exact quote, but he, but either he or uh, the distributist talked about how they see the path of leftism as being the path of entropy. And that if it's entropy, you're not building anything, there's still going to be people around who are going to build something after you, so you may just collapse under your, your own uh, unremarkability. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of the kind of uh, social deterioration that we've seen in uh, you know the last uh, 50, 60 years has been largely, uh, and longer than that really, but uh, it's been largely uh, glossed over by uh, technological innovation. Kind of the miracle of technology has rescued uh, kind of the progressive march from really having to have a reckoning uh, because just people have lived longer and all, you know, all these amazing technologies. Uh, but I, we're getting to the point where I don't really care how many pixels you can, cram, scram, you can cram onto my TV screen if I can't have children. If I can't raise a family, well, I wanted to talk about the if children I'm, part. If, but go if ahead. I'm, yeah, if 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 I'm lonely and I'm atomized and I feel disconnected from everything, uh, slightly improved PlayStation graphics are just not going to fix it at the end of the day, right? <laughs> like yeah. it's just not going to be enough. And and so the miracle isn't really going to work anymore. That trick isn't going to work long term. And especially as we see some serious consequences coming from the horrible management of people who are in charge, we are seeing crime skyrocket, absolutely go out of control. That's going to hit home eventually. Wait, people... Steven Pinker's wrong? <laughs> I know. Fuck. We're all, we're all shocked. Um, we're all, yeah, couldn't have seen that coming, Mr. Yeah. Flight Log. Oh, hey, sorry, we so... got to get him on BTR. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yes, I'll ask him what his favorite um, cocktail Don't worry, I'll is do the... Little St. James. Yeah. I'll go do ahead, the hatchet work for you here. But yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> that, 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 eventually, this bill is going to come due, right? Eventually, uh, people who can't manage society, people who uh, are who have no real direction, no real vitality for what the people are going to become and what the vision of the culture is going to be, uh, eventually things are going to break down and, and that's going to cause issues. And the hope is, like you say, Lev, that eventually what we do see is people in positions of power start realizing uh, that they would be better served going elsewhere, right? That they would be better served by finding a, a new group of people to serve rather than kind of woke progressivism. Uh, the, we call this the rogue Island? elite. <laughs> oh, well, and, and yeah, you, you see, you see a lot of, Wait, you uh, call this what the, what your, 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 your rogue elite, right? You want, you want someone who is willing to break from, uh, from the ruling ideology and finds that they're better served by seeking a power base elsewhere. But the yeah. phrase itself, I'm curious about. Can you say again, rogue elite? What a rogue mean? elite. An oh, elite. rogue elite. Thank you. An, an elite. An elite who's gone rogue yes. is no longer follow, who's no longer uh, wholly, you know, sold out to the people who are who are currently. That, that was the title of uh, what, what what's her face's book. Uh, Sarah Palin's going rogue. Was it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, now I, I have this I have this terrifying vision. Do you remember the dance that Steven Pinker did uh, when Biden got elected? Now <laughs> oh, imagine him. Yeah, jeez. Imagine him in a bunker underneath Little St. James, and it's like those garish red lights that Jeffrey Epstein had, and he's dancing in that room, and it's like filled to the never mind, never mind. I'm not gonna... <laughs> One day the progressives will finally come for him, and I will not cry. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. it'll happen. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's happening to Lindsay Ellis now. Apparently, that's a, another shocker. So, <laughs> now, um, I know, I know that this is the way that history has gone. One last thing that I wanted to talk about, as far as the past goes, and no, Gio, I'm not going to bring up the beating. I'm going to bring up something. Well, I else, wanted to which... bring up one thing about what Moldbug predicted, but go go ahead. Okay, yeah. so so real fast, one thing that I don't know, because again, I wasn't alive at, at that point, and I don't really, uh, I haven't read anything yet or gotten primary sources about it. But what I'm curious about is how often did it happen in the past as far as like not having certain, let's say, regulations, not having certain things to ensure these things don't happen, that let's say a husband who has a wife who grows old then dumps her, leaves her no security whatsoever, and just finds the younger wife. And again, it's I'm not talking about, you know, cases here and there. This is just something I'm curious about. Like I'm talking about like on mass scale. Like sure. how cohesive were family structures how do we know they were that cohesive that's well, there was like that oh, actually I, I have a good anecdote about that like okay. i tweeted about this a couple of weeks ago uh, i was from a book about uh so in the holy roman empire modern germany there was an abbey like an imperial abbey you know like basically a kind of like a ecclesiastical principality called otto Beuren. And from about the 16th century, so basically they were, these were like uh, peasants who like were working on uh, ch lands owned by the church, and so effectively like the ab the abbot of like the nearby uh, abbey was like their their prince essentially, their sovereign, and uh, he exercised like very direct, almost uh, kind of like a marriage counselor to his peasant subject like for, for example for example there oh, was an in, it, there was an incident where like uh, some like uh, husband basically whatever happened some kind of domestic quarrel he snapped and he straight up just kicked his wife and kids out, out of the house and so like the abbot just takes him in and says you know okay look okay look man you got you gotta make up with her you gotta bring her back you know if you do so god will have your favor you know everything's gonna be better you should you know even if she's kind of a bitch, you know, I mean, get, get her back. You're not going to you know? get a divorce. What are we, an animal? Yeah. No. And and the, and the husband just replies, you know, basically, no way in hell. I'm not going to get her back. Never. And so the moment he hears that, he clips the guy in the dungeon until, until he finally agrees. <laughs> so, so, so basically, in terms of protection, quite a lot, actually. If I could answer that, Levin, then I have to bail out here soon. Um, I'm running up against time. Uh, but um, there's this guy, uh, Bertrand de Juvenal, who has a lot of really good uh, work on how, uh, how power works. And one of the things he talks about is the growth of the state. And uh, he says, you know, the state is more powerful than it's ever been. Uh, you know, people who run the state now uh, have way more power than any absolute monarch could ever have imagined uh, throughout history and yet people feel more liberated and he says why is that like what what how is it that people think of themselves as freer while uh, operating under a state that is more powerful than we've ever seen and his answer is that uh, is the recession of pr the private sphere right as um the government has moved in or as as the private sphere has retracted from managing things like marital disputes uh you know the, the moral issues uh the way you would deal with all these different things as they as the private spheres of competing power have stepped out the power of the state has expanded to fill it and so people feel less obligations to private spheres so they feel more liberated but at the same time 
they're actually more and more beholden to the power of the state to mediate all of these different things. And so it's going to feel to us as people who are used to the state having a say in pretty much everything that there's no control. There's no one at the wheel. Um, but that's not true. Throughout history, lots of people had a bit the wheel. The, 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 the civilization was far more of a patchwork of overlapping social institutions and spheres of influence, which managed with different expectations how people would interact with each other. It wasn't just a free-for-all with the state standing at the edge, shocking anybody who happened to get too close to the edge, right? And so um, if the state was to step back and we were to allow uh, this more overlapping thing, first we would need those institutions of virtue to rise. But the problem, of course, is people probably won't fill those roles until they have to. But how do we know those institutions worked? Yeah, so uh, because societies function right no like, all societies function all the time and again i know geo hates me for bringing all it up one isn't. But, uh, i know geo well. hates me for bringing it up but again the example of um, russia the example of the serfs there the way that they lived like animals they treated their kids their wives just really really horrible way that would be a real hell on earth for people who were born around that time and so my question when it comes to a lot of these things is sure you could have a society where like two or three bad eggs end up doing something and the government's not going to be involved and sure that's fine uh, but regard- i guess like what is the what is the extent where we could say okay this is like so much fucking suffering that's being caused because there isn't a recourse for the wife who gets dumped uh, uh, and uh, for a younger wait, wait, woman, well, and now she's regarding you know, uh, regarding Russian serfdom. Have you read the memoirs of Sava Pulevsky? No, I'm gonna take a look at that. They're, I'm yeah, write they're, that down. They're, they're the memoirs of a Russian serf in the 1820s and 1830s. You 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 should read it. You'd be surprised at how you know their existence wasn't as terrible as you're implying it to be. So do read it. But okay, go on. I'm I'm you gonna know, Aaron, wait wait. How do you say that? Asava Polensky. I want to write that down. Sa- Sa- no, Sava Purlevsky. Sava. So like Sava Purlevsky. I mean, you're a Russian. You have to know this man. Sava Polyevsky? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like like it's in English. It's like P U R L E V S K I I. You know, Purlev Purlevsky. Oh, uh, you're gonna have to send it to me later. But I appreciate. Sure, sure. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll I'll tweet it to you. Sure. Yes. But, uh, but I still don't know, like, when it comes to societies in general, how do we... And I don't want to be a Redditor where it's like, okay, this much suffering is acceptable, this much is not. But still, at a certain point, we have to say how much, let's say, things that would go on behind the scenes without, let's say, the wife or kids or whoever being able to go to some, you know, uh, to get some help. Like, at which point would it be, you know, absolutely hell on earth mode that people may have been living and maybe that wasn't the case. And if it wasn't the case, how do we know that? There was hellish when there were like famines happening. Sure. But yeah, there was beyond... material conditions. Sure. But even beyond the fam famine I'm talking about, cause I just want to push back just because I think that a lot of people within more of the reactionary circles look back at these societies. And I'm, and I'm not saying that, you know, you're all saying, Oh, it was so great, but still there may be a tendency to overlook how hellish a lot of these more, let's say, familial, and I'm a big fan of the family, I think that's a great structure, but still, how much there may have been suffering within those environments as well, just to play devil's advocate here. You keep asking the wife-beating question, man. I mean, you just love to... I wanted to transition that away from the wife-beating into the divorcing. Well, I I wanted to... (laughs) Oh, oh, God. (laughs) 
No, just because how do we know? That's what All I'm right. curious about. Right. Let, I want let, to oh. be... I know, I know, I know. I want to be Oren, wrong. what is I your opinion to, yes. on wife beating and... and <laughs> I am shockingly generally opposed to the beating of, of wow. uh, women wantonly. Oh, you uh, simp cuck. I know. I it's know. over. I know. I did, I've lost my audience. Everybody send me down. Yep. Nope. Um, but uh, no. Right. Like what? Uh, what books would you recommend, or what? What information would you recommend me to look at that can paint a better picture of how society was back then? Because I just don't know. That's where I'm getting at. I mean, how much have we read? And I, I don't say this in any way derogatorily. How much have we read pre like 1900? Right. Like how many lot. books? How many books do we actually read uh, from those eras? How do they actually portray things? And of course, the answer people who are going to go back and say, well, they, they'll portray them in a positive light because that was era. Okay, then how do you ever know anything, right? <laughs> like, yeah. that's, were they the consciously the day, aware of the fact that they were living in like traditional society and they had portrayed yeah, yeah, in a positive yeah, light? Yeah, yeah. Let, you know, like that's... There's a point at which we get wildly meta to the point where you can't actually have a conversation yeah. about things, right? At the end of the day, here's the thing, right? Material conditions have obviously improved. Like people have more calories, uh, there, there's a lot of things about life that are superior to Russian serfdom on that front. But we make a mistake when we think that every change over society was a positive one that happened to coincide with that technological innovation. When we trade sovereignty in the family, when we trade spheres of influence through society for direct state inter intervention in things, we do get a leveling effect. That's part of its promise. Yes, it does. It does make naturally unequal relationships more equal. The physical relationship between a man and a woman will always be unequal. Biologically, that's true. The only way to stop that is to go is is to end up uh, inter having the state intervene to level that relationship. Yes, absolutely. Is that is there a cost for that? That's the question we have to ask. Are we making trade offs or is that only a good? That's the thing you want to know. And finally, um, you have to go. I wanted to ask you, uh, I don't know if you, you probably did. I had to delete my responses and uh, block this uh, trans person bodybuilder who uh, was talking about how it was in reply to this lo-fi Republican tweet. Did you see this one about birth control? Yes, I, I think I did see that one. Yeah. yeah. You know, the reply I'm talking about where they talk about how pregnancy is like an illness and it's like this terrible thing that um, is uh, it's not something that is a telos of biological existence, but rather, and I was trying to explain this to this person, but uh, this person's an unironic neoliberal that worships science. And so therefore, um, if we have like the Shulamite Firestone exo wombs for people who still want to have children, but we'll live in a world where having children will become impossible because the social relations of natalism would become impossible for various reasons so uh this person believes that the framing of pregnancy and childbirth and raising of children itself is like a medical harm on par with like having i don't know some kind of birth defect or some kind of uh mm -hmm. like it's a terrible thing that kills women therefore it's bad so what do you feel uh and this is something that moldbug predicted recently with his discussion with <laughs> yeah. anton yes that, he did that antinatalism and like self uh what did he call it like you know thomas Ligotti. yeah it's the self-sterilization like yeah, consensual consensual, yeah. consensual termination basically of, yeah. of reproduction yeah, I think, um, you know, you can go endlessly in a loop on this, uh, but I think Oswald Spangler uh, probably put mm. it best 
Uh, Oswald Spangler said that uh, a society that is discussing the merits of reproduction is already dead. Yeah. Um, a society that is already because the math never works out rationally. And he it, said for high society women, and this was a great quote. Uh, he said that uh, in, in your video that uh, for, for women of high society in France and America, that it, uh, marriage will become like a craft, a pa passing fancy to gain experiences. It's not something that is embedded within various minute and um, various conglomerated social, religious, cultural expectations and like weighing of odds. Rather, it is like something like... Um, eat, pray, love, I'm going to gain experiences. And it's like the marriage experience, like the marriage, the marriage DLC pack of your life. And well, and to be <laughs> fair, he, he said that this is also a function of men choosing this. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so, and mm -hmm. so this is a, that he, he, yeah. I, I think it's unfair to only hang it though, though. I think that's part of it. I think it's unfair to only hang it on necessarily like a modern female zeitgeist. It is also the male pattern of choosing of these things and yeah. what our society values and how it, like I said, once you started having the discussion about whether children are worth it, whether it's worth it to have them, whether it's a burden or that, then it's already too, it's already gone because the energy to procreate, the energy to move the next generation forward has to be almost an, a consuming thing. And if you, and if your society is no longer able to summon that and is no longer able to do that almost instinctively, uh, then it's already on its way out. You know, in Denmark, I lived in Denmark for six months and there's a lot of like beautiful young couples with beautiful young children. And there's just everywhere, everywhere is clean. It's like a perfect place to raise a kid. Elysium. You know, in a healthy, loving environment. Um, there's just so many resources available for young parents. And they generally have kids like at very, very young ages. Like they'll start in their like early to mid twenties because they have the social supports to do that. Wasn't you know, Denmark- It's not even a question of like, really cost they live in a welfare state so like literally like they like both parents will get a year off paid leave just to raise a child it's very uh there's a lot of in, in um th there's a lot of, of promotion of breeding in denmark just through all the benefits you receive if i remember you know, correctly wasn't denmark the country that was like high level education you know it there's the um they they really push procreation you know, in a what, sustainable way. Oren, what were you saying? That it was the country that what? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, I was saying, uh, well, wasn't it the country that was like running ads, like "Please have sex with your boyfriend"? Yeah, like, please, I think it was. Please go, please go, knock up your girlfriend. Like we will, yep. like we'll subsidize the kid. Just please Beast. go, like just go on holiday and knock up your your significant other. Um, well, Japan has like a population crisis because they oh, work yeah. so much. You know, they can't. They don't even have time to date let alone like yeah. you know perform it's intimacy you know a lot of wasted time too like they pretend to sleep so that their boss sees how hard they work they, in, they in, have in the uh office. they have uh vr uh, futanaris now so that's uh god <laughs> why did they fucking say that my god. Oh, man. Yeah. oh my no it's like it's literally like that one this guy <laughs> oh, had god. multiple screens throughout his Sorry. house like right next to each other like, like he had one in his bedroom and he had like this anime girl that he can download. And he's like, it's nice to have, he's falling asleep. He's like, it's nice to have someone around. And the anime girl next to his screen and next to his bed, like says goodnight to him and kisses him goodnight. He's like, it's nice to have someone around. What is, 
what is saying, this you mean? gotta incentivize like on a societal level you have to incentivize child rearing and childbirth and, and, and human yeah. intimacy you can't just fucking but also there are there aren't that many there aren't that many denmarkians in denmark anyway so it's and I think it's much more of a cohesive society. It's less things yes. to worry about when you do that. Here we have a lot of Americans and a lot of people who are not really that smart. Like, let's face it. We have a lot no. of people here who are going to end up being the fucking Morlocks because there isn't that much investment that's being put in them, unfortunately. Too many people. And I, I don't know. I mean, it is a shame. I wish everybody um, could get good education. Not education, but more, possible. you know, like, like I think you know. that's completely possible. We have the highest GTP of any nation on Earth and we can't educate our citizens. I mean, it's gonna Come take on, a military. It's gonna take some military effort. By the way, oh, Oren, but that's not Oren, the talking love. Go ahead, Oren. Before you go, I wanted to uh, uh, present the following. This is what we are gonna have uh, on Thursday, and I'm gonna announce the Tuesday event after the Thursday event. But this is Thursday. Argue my position next Thursday. It's gonna be about democracy. So it's a reverse debate. So basically, Armand is gonna he is for democracy, but he's gonna make a point against democracy. And this ghost represents the unknown person because I don't know who we're gonna have on to reverse debate him. I don't know what your schedule is, but if it is possible, I would definitely uh, consider you to be an amazing person for this if you're interested. So I want to offer it to you first. To steel dan to steel man democracy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, why I'd love to, I actually uh, we're we're buying a house, so I'll I'll, oh, nice. I'll I will be oh. very busy next week. So, so this is congratulations. Wow. So this is then an announcement for everybody. Who do you want to face off against Armand for our democracy reverse debate? Let us know in the comments and uh, let us know on Twitter and uh, so on and so forth. So, Oren, I want to thank you so much, man. This was an amazing conversation. Mm -hmm. I still need to. Uh, Nigel, send me that book. Because, again, I'm questioning. I have questions when it comes to what happened in the past. You were and obsessed all that with stuff. this last week. No, no, because I think, like I said. Like I, like okay, I, okay, stop, stop, yeah, stop. You, you, you get the meeting. idea. Yes, yes, so I know. No, because basically what I'm trying to do is I'm trying Mix, to figure out. I wish out... I had a wife just to beat her love because oh, you God. said that. No, <laughs> no basi basically I want to figure out what uh, are what are the things that people would generally push against the most when it comes to you know how things may have been better back then when it comes to you know familial societies and things of that nature where I think we have lost a lot of that good stuff. But I again, think any I would, imposition you know I mean. on autonomy that's really like. The yeah. core, like any imposition, especially in sexual autonomy, that's like the num. That's like to me at least. That's what every like argument hinges upon. But Absolutely. sorry, Oren. Yeah, last last word, and then yes, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I agree, Gio. I think you're right that that is going to be. I, 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 like I said, I don't think we're going to be able to escape the autonomy uh, value. I think that it, that's going to be hard for people to do. Um, I, I think we can talk about the problems of going back, but just the idea of going back itself is almost impossible at this point, right? And that's the real problem. It's more about going forward and what gets carried into the future uh, when it's time to make those changes. Uh, but yes, that said, guys, thank you very much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. I definitely would uh, love to talk to you again at some point. I, I had a great yes, time. Yes, please. God yes, bless. Oren, thank you so much, God brother. Bless. Been and and I'm going to shill everything right now for Oren McIntyre. So guys, Follow Oren McIntyre on Twitter right oh, now. Oh, by the way, I yes. forgot. Go subscribe to him on YouTube, but also yes. subscribe to my channel. I actually have a, I know I'm impossible. I have a new video out. I always say it's going to be, it's going to be this day, but it's never that day. It's always the few days after. Uh, it's it's a painting video. I have GoPro footage of me painting, but also it's about um, 
this interesting theory about how the surface of painting captures time for the artist. So go, that's a really theory salt type of video, uh, but please go and subscribe to Oren's uh, channel. Uh, Oren, or, uh, sorry. <laughs> I always, I get confused. I always said, or like, or, or it is, or it is correct, but a lot of people say like uh, Aaron or Oren, and I just kind of like yeah. let it go because I don't want to spend a bunch of time correcting people yeah. when I'm a I, guest on their stuff. I kind of say uh, or like or like an, like a uh, arborescent. Uh, I don't know why I say it that way, but uh, yeah, go please go subscribe to Oren McIntyre. He just dropped this excellent. I've I've yet to listen to all of it, but uh, I've I've listened to most of your videos uh, with Bog Beef. Of the good old boys podcast. By He's the way, coming on BTR. Is Bog Beef coming on BTR? Yeah, hell yeah. Oh, thank. Do good, you have Bog good. and Merrick? You got both of them. Uh, I'm go I'm definitely gonna try, but I can tell you yeah. the date that Bog's gonna come down. I would love for you to come down as well if you're gonna be around. Let me just uh, quickly uh, search for this date. You have no idea how big of a spreadsheet I have here, fellas. So <laughs> we have to. I mean, I I've been booking but, events till July. But while you're looking at it, next yeah. week we're gonna have a total nightmare apocalypse. Oh God, Galaxy yes. Brain Stream. It's gonna be me. It's gonna be well. I shouldn't say. Uh, it's gonna be Alexander Bard, logo dead, logo dead Atlas. Here's the um, link to Paul it. Paul Town, Paul Town, Joel Davis, John Pellich. Oh my God, that's gonna be meeting of that's gonna be meeting of the Titans right there. If we had Carl's bat in there, it'd be like the, the world would end. It'd be, uh, it'd be like. Like it'd be like when Antonio Noki fought Muhammad Ali. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, Gio, if I can reverse shill, I, I like your your uh, your stuff, and I, I I don't have Instagram. Is there a place I can see your work and possibly get some of it? If uh, like, uh, like where you're I'm at? I'm going to I'm working. I always say this, but for months now, <laughs> but I'm working on a direct to sell website. Um, but mostly my work you can see on Instagram. I do have a Facebook page, but that's more of an archive. But yeah, Instagram. Uh, and if you want to buy anything, especially if you want to buy any prints that I'm making, I have, by the way, I have a special print I'm going to release on the 20th of April. No, nice. it's not going to be about Columbine, although I'm, I'm, I actually do have a Columbine painting, but I'll never release it. It's terrible. Um, you don't uh, want to do like a Randy Stair one? Oh, no, no, maybe, but um, no, I <laughs> have a ghost. special print for the other thing that happened uh, on April 20th which is the anniversary of the end of the Waco siege. I'm going to have a special lino cup print, but, but if anyone wants to buy, please direct message me. I, I try to get to everybody, but if, if you want to buy something for your new house, uh, painting or uh, print, um, please message me if you have something in mind. Um, and he, here you could see Geo's prints in action. So this yeah, this is, is from our, that few one no GF series. This, this is, is for our thirty dollar uh, Patreon uh, members. So this is what you get. This is the process right here of making these prints. You know you want these prints. Look at how gorgeous they look. And when you become a $20 Patreon member, you are also going to get my father's beautiful magnets. I cannot wait to show you the definitely legit magnet. I think it is pretty much done now. And then the uh, fat line, this is going to be uh, oh, uh, <laughs> coming on the way. Oh. And uh, and again, $5 members, you are going to get Patreon, uh, special Patreon, uh, not Patreon, special uh, Discord uh, server uh areas for uh, patrons only and you're going to get to write at patreon chat and also a, yeah yeah well and also um Aaron, you you have a subscribe star i believe you don't have a patreon yes. subscribe star uh, yes i've got a subscribe star and i've got a uh i've got a merch store uh i I, oh, nice. I make memes uh and people tend to like the memes and so i put the memes on things 
Uh, I'm in no way an artist, but but people like to buy the memes, and so I, nice. I, I have those as well. So uh, here's can... the uh, subscribe star. So the man's buying a new house. You have to contribute right now. Yes, and the merch store. <laughs> Redbubble.com. I'm assuming you have a wife? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, good. Very. You have children yet? Uh, uh, stepson, yes. Oh, okay, okay. So um, please, he's buying a new house, and he needs the money, I'm assuming. <laughs> Way more than we do. Me and Lever needs. We don't really ha- need a lot of money. I shouldn't say that. No, no we need no. money. My yes. God. Please. <laughs> Damn, I just I just fucked myself right there. <laughs> oh boy. But uh for each according to his need, um, so please go go to his subscribe star and um and the shop, yeah. the Orrin McIntyre shop. Make sure and you're yeah, there. can buy Primo. Do, Lev, do you have pictures of his merch? Uh I I will try. I mean I'm gonna uh, it's the... embarrassing. It's all just random memes, but uh <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. That's what my buddy Woken Problematic does. He he uh, yeah. here we go. Look but he that. makes his own memes. Let, let's Schmidt, look at this. The Schmidt tall mug. What is that? Is that Carl Schmidt? Where yeah, is that's oh the, my the, the friend foe <laughs> distinction? Uh yeah, there's oh my god. Yeah, and then uh oh, wow. You should have a mug that says, if you drink this, you are my foe. That's probably... He's got the the Word of Sovereignty Lie t-shirt. That's amazing. Well, well, that's the first thing that I brought up on the Clubhouse with Catherine Brodsky. Uh, I talked about the friend-enemy distinction in relation to, you know, uh, the uh, cancel culture conversation there. And, like, one guy was shocked that I brought that name up. But anyway, uh, that was, you know, comes with the territory. But I think it is an important thing. Is the last thing that I'd say here. I really do think it comes down to friend-enemy distinction. I think a lot of people are feeling that already and uh my hope is what you just said earlier that there are going to be some people with money that look at the things that are happening and uh you know want to be rogue elites but yeah there we go we're gonna see what happens i'm, I'm excited i'm gonna be an optimist so Oren, i want to thank you so much brother for coming in here you were amazing i would love to have you on again i know you're gonna be busy when we're gonna be doing the uh thursday reverse debate stream i would love to have again again reverse debate or not reverse debate doesn't matter to me so I just want to thank Here you at again. BTR, we're into mass debating, as <laughs> yes, Chris Chan exactly. says. <laughs> yes, and one day we're all gonna come out as gamers. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thanks again for having me. I gotta head out. Thank you, Warren. So, thank you so much. Yeah. Have a good so, one. Uh, take care. So, some more announcements before we uh, get going. Uh, on uh, Sunday, not Monday, but on this Sunday, I am going to have the uh, art stream with uh, joining us, Zero HP Lovecraft. He is going to be coming in there, and we're going to be. Uh, I don't know what we're going to be talking about yet. We're gonna we're gonna figure that out, right, Geo? So here we yeah. go. This is the uh, Twitter link, and I'm going to post the link to the art stream as well. So guys, make sure you subscribe also to my YouTube. I do not. Well, show we'll probably my be YouTube talking enough. about the 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 human voluntary extinction thing. I had to delete this uh, th- popular thread of mine because this person, I just I just could tell they probably reported it. It was about how they're going to normalize uh, cheese pizza, if you know uh, what I mean, uh, through the, the certain uh, uh, issues. I had to delete that thread because this person called me a transphobe and said that it's a textbook anti-trans screed that I could have wrote a book about. But uh, uh, anyways, um, I love all people, as I don't mean to criticize. So uh, anyways, yeah, well, we'll talk about that. I'm sure with ZHP, we always talk about fun things. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of like my guilty pleasure that he's a regular on the show. Um, yeah, so and, it's going to uh, be great. And I'll and probably be fo- car- carving a woodblock print for that stream instead of doing a drawing. So Excellent. And also yeah. follow Porco Rosso Flies Again. 
Uh, follow Alexandra. That's Alexandra's Twitter account. Follow her there. She needs more followers. Absolutely, positively. Yeah. And yeah. Nigel, follow the great Nigel Carlsbad. Uh, you were amazing today, brother. You have a lot of knowledge. Please send me that book. I'm very interested in reading I it. I will. I will. All I, all, 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 all I know. Okay. All I know is that when my mom went to see uh, my uh, my dad's dad. Uh, who was a drunk in the village? The uh, gals You've told there, me the story. Yeah. yeah, they were following her along, and they like wanted to kill her. But anyway, I'm not gonna get into that right now. But uh, <laughs> anyway, okay, end stream. Anyway. <laughs> okay, well the stream the stream is ending right now. But I just wanted to say one last thing. I want to do a shout out. D Live TV break the rules. I wanted to do a shout out to one of our greatest contributors, uh, Titty Don. He sent Titty Don. 100 lemons today. Titty Don, thank you so much for the lemons. When life gives you lemons, you, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway. Guys, this is the end of the stream. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, yeah. Go follow all the YouTube links. You're going to see the YouTube link for the stream with Alexander Bard, logo, yada, yada, yada. That's coming up on Monday. Make sure you are there. And then the reverse debate stream this Thursday. A lot more. Oh, and also $50 patrons are going to get a uh, beautiful uh, the uh, Hammer War uh paint things as well as warhammer uh, 40k figures yes. painted by jewels yes you're gonna get as that a... you're gonna get all the other prizes you're, pa- you're also you're gonna painting. get a custom magnet and you're gonna get not just my print but a, a bob ross style painting exact mundo telemundo and that is patreon.com <laughs> telemundo slash... you're, proud, you're from telemundo aren't you get him off the stage <laughs> that was a great moment in history donald trump destroying telemundo um oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, break the rules. Uh, Patreon.com slash break the rules. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. God bless. Good night. All All right, here.